Hi. I got a tape I want to play. Just what do you think you're doing, Dave? Your move, creep. Take me to the volcano! So why don't you make like a tree and get out of here? Come with me if you want to live. This town needs an enema. Like I said, I need a bacchiatomy. Yes, that's a human ear, all right. I got a bad feeling about this. So it's come to this. <laughs> Baby. Hey there. Hey, I'm Eric. I'm Charlie. It's come, come to this. to this. Baby. We're here to talk about our 100th episode. Oh, man. 100. 100. This is a milestone. We're in the triple dig. Yeah, that's big. Territory now. That's big. Yeah. That's unforeseeable. We've been doing this nearly two years. That's right. And I don't. I didn't think we had it in us. I didn't realize we <laughs> I would be this it every dedicated. Week, man. Yeah. Uh, this has been one of the greatest things that's ever happened to me. I love talking <laughs> about movies, and now we've done it a hundred different times. And if you're just joining us, thank you because we've been plotting for a while now. This 100 has been looming. It's been there yeah. since like once we hit 50. I was like, I think we're doing this. <laughs> like, yeah. we're over that first hump, you know. Fifty-one was like, okay, we're getting there. We're closer to a hundred than we are to zero. It's getting real, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, once we were really in the seventies, it was like, all right, we need to really think about episode one hundred. And so we didn't know how big to make it or how obscure to make this, <laughs> but it had to be some kind of milestone. And I eventually, we had a few different ideas that all sounded really cool. But I wore you down a little. For the, this was the first one that popped into my head. I don't know if it was the best one, but it was the first one that seemed like that would be a fun thing to tackle. Well, this, yeah, I was going to say this feel, felt like the coolest idea to do something a little differently because we're going to talk about one movie. Yes. But th- really, we're going <laughs> to talk about two movies. Two different movies, two very uh, unique, different versions of the same movie. And. It's a big movie for me. Uh, it's The Killing of a Chinese Bookie. And it's possibly, probably, my favorite movie of the 70s. Whoa. Which is my favorite decade for film in general. 70s and 80s are, that's really my most joyous period. Absolutely. A lot of good stuff in there. And 70s film, especially 70s crime film and 70s like people, pictures, character studies, really hit me and affect me and no more movie than the killing of a Chinese bookie from that era just has this style that I just cannot look away from. Mm -hmm. It has this atmosphere and vibe and look that just speaks to me as a cinema fan. It is, it is so fun to look at. Yeah. It's, it's one of those where you learn about Cassavetes in a film school setting because it is such an artsy approach to filmmaking it's got a bit of the new wave it's Very got much. Uh, a lot of cinema verite going on in it and then it's also this one in particular is a great crime drama yeah. uh, man down on his luck man versus the world kind of drama this is a story i'm really drawn to as well right and <laughs> if a if a good version of a man who is starting low and finds a way to to dig down <laughs> lower I can be really attracted to that kind of story. Whenever I look at my favorite movies at the end of the year, if there's a really good one of that, it's at the top. Uncut Gems, 
most recently exactly. was a real guy down bad who then gets better and then gets down worse. <laughs> yeah, if you guys liked Uncut Gems, you're going to love Killing of a Chinese Bookie. This is really, with Cassavetti's handheld camera and personal touch to these scenes, the scenes that, you know, the way he films it really puts you in this guy's mm-hmm. area. Oh, you're, you're right up in right in the there. face of You're right people. over shoulders. You yeah. know, you're up close it's, in personal in nostrils. claustrophobic. Yeah, it is. You are squeezed into a booth in a diner exactly. with these people. Oh, my God. Somehow seven dudes in a four-man booth. <laughs> seven lumpy Italian guys Huge shoved dudes. in. Uh, the this, big suits. This movie is so personal and so affecting. And like these movies, we did one uh, ages ago, now that we're... <laughs> 100 episodes (laughs) in ages back in the double digits days Uh, we were Uh, so young bad lieutenant this movie does not have the grime of bad lieutenant but it's that same you are thrown into this guy's life and you are caught up into the mess that he's getting out of those kind of movies man i am hooked once a guy's in a jam Mm -hmm. the guy's in a jam in the first five minutes of the movie oh i'm like How's he going to get out of this jam? <laughs> like I'm so I'm so here for it. I'm so in into people getting out of jams, especially when you're just dumped into things and you don't know why he's in that jam. That's the best. Mm-hmm. Kaitel is already <laughs> he's already losing it in Bad Lieutenant. In yeah, one, it's man. already pretty. Minute one, pretty he's dire. already like, all right, he's he's backpedaling. He's in a corner. Yeah, he's in a corner. we fi- trying to fight his way out. And Cosmo, man, Ben Gazzara as Cosmo is. Such a great performance. Such a tender guy. Cassavetes has the, this way in all his movies and all his acting of really being this guy. And Gazzara in this movie is Cassavetes. Hmm. This is Cassavetes fighting against constant odds, constant creditors, constant problems just to do the art he wants to do, which might not be everybody's thing as we see in the song and dance numbers at the Crazy Horse West. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I didn't see any Cassavetes in college when I was seeing other important films, when I was jumping into European cinema, and you mentioned New Wave. Right. You know, when I was 20 and I was seeing, oh, God, Fellini, you know, and I thought I was hot stuff. We all... All, all us film lovers kind of have that early 20s period. Yeah. In, it's in our like early 20s, we, we are. When we discover, like, the Criterion Collection, and we, we go right. to the indie cinema in town, you know? And uh, it's a great period. It's a great, okay. ti- it's a great snotty, time to be yeah. in. I loved it. I loved learning things and immediately thinking you know all things. Mm-hmm. And there's movies like this that I didn't get to hit up until, you know, out of that phase. Because Cassavetes was... The, He's the best independent underground director for me. This guy is the embodiment of just making money however you can so you can make the exact movie you want to make mm-hmm. with nobody telling you otherwise. Not working with a studio. And he somehow made eight, ten pictures that all have high quality merits to him. You know, this guy had great vision and he was doing it on his own dime without anybody else telling him how to make it. That's like the dream. It seems yeah. like the dream, but, but I can't think of anything a, harder than trying to make a movie all by yourself. There's a reason why Cassavetes died in his late 50s of cirrhosis. <laughs> you know, oh, <laughs> like, yeah. this guy was living 
that agony you see on the screen in all of his movies, all of his movies are just like, they're tiring. They're bummers. It's the same way Uncut Gems was just like, my muscles were sore mm-hmm. after watching this movie. You know, you I hate looking at Harvey Keitel so much in some of these scenes in Bad Lieutenant. You know, your body is just cramping up in ways that you're just from reaction. And all these, every Cassavetti movie, nobody's coming out better at the end of these, you know? Right. This is like a, these movies are taking a toll on the actors, and it just feels like Cassavetti's putting his life up in all of these, and no more than this one, which just feels like Cosmo's dream, baby, is the, the crazy horse West. Loves that nightclub he, he runs. He is so proud of this it. nightclub <laughs> and these musical acts. I love it. I love getting getting into the, the crazy horse where he has a music director. Yeah. For songs that seem hastily choreographed, <laughs> but they're so endearing and so charming. I've, I've never been to a strip club. Oh, you got to go. I, I know they're all the rage. Trust me, none of them are like the Crazy Horse West in this movie. Um, we should we should probably specify what we're actually doing here because we haven't talked about the version so of this movie. Talking about a guy who makes movies his own way, he was rushed in editing when originally making this movie. So there was original cut of Killing of a Chinese Bookie that ran 135 minutes. was uh, a little more cumbersome, had a little more song and dance numbers, but was a totally different movie. And then two years later, they pulled it from theaters really quick. Two years later, he re-edits the movie using, what, 50 minutes of new footage, edits out 20, adds in some stuff. Totally different picture. Scenes omitted, new new characters added in, scenes out of order. Just recuts this whole movie out right. of existing parts. Re-releases it. And that's the much more popular version. And so we're going to target that version first. And then in a whole different part, we're going to target we're gonna the We're going to watch the long version, version. Which is a very different cut. But Now, I've heard of director's cuts, obviously. Yes. But I don't know if I've ever heard of a director turning it around like this in two years and just going, okay, okay, you didn't like that? Uh, let me do this again. Right. Because actually I wanted it to be more like this. Imagine and to to, re- to release the same movie in two such wildly different parts, without officially calling it the director's cut, or you know, the this wor- isn't the Cassavetti's yeah, cut. The worst thing about it is it removes when Ben Gazzara called his brother penis breath, <laughs> and and then it replaces the shotguns with walkie talkies. Oh yeah, and I yeah, did yeah, not yeah. agree. With those Cassavetti's edits. But yeah, this is a weird artistic thing. <laughs> it's an odd thing if a guy releases an album, like if Beck came out with an album and people booed it. Right. And so he yanked it and then two years later just came out with the same album but better. Like, like but so like, I took your advice and I cut some of these songs and I added new uh, right. bridge over here. and like It's like he goes from an 18-track album to a 12-track album, <laughs> but it's like six new tracks in the 12-track yeah, album. Just a totally different album. With but it's like, still just called changed, the same album. Yeah, we used an alternate take on a couple of them because it's so weird. He will talk about this when we see the longer cut, but there's existing scenes that are just filmed from alternate takes and angles. Hmm. So he's choosing different takes of the same scene to put in the different movie. So it's just like a band really, you know, 
this action this take was a little more raw. The guitar solo's not as good on this one, but I like it's a little more loose. Sounds right. better live, you know. So we'll go with that cut. Well, I could definitely uh feel like there was a lot of improvisation going on. Oh, you think? A lot of just <laughs> off the cuff dialogue. Just kind of people interacting with each other naturally. And then, yeah, I'm sure Cassavetti's just had hours of that to choose from. It was like, you know what? Actually, it's it's better if we just do this or that. Or, <laughs> there's so much, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. There's so much non-dialogue in this movie. Uh-huh. And a lot of Cassavetti's movies feel very loosely scripted. Because some of the reactions are things that nobody... Like, nobody says this stuff to people, but also the movie just feels nothing but exchanges of people like awkwardly waiting in line Mm -hmm. and saying a weird thing to the person behind you and you're like why did i why did i even say that there's just weird responses throughout this whole movie but you're in these conversations you're with these people i don't know any of them but you get a you get a sense of your your surroundings pretty Mm -hmm. quick the way you're in the middle of all this and yeah the movie starts with we're getting to know the crazy horse we see cosmo ben gazar is such a such a legend ben gazara he's so great is this our first gazara i I think it is i think it is i think we've just we've talked about doing roadhouse a lot yeah we talked about doing roadhouse for episode 100 Uh, it's probably either way we were getting gazara in there yeah it'll be around around. (laughs) and i i really love him i love his presence he's such a tiny looking guy it's a great thing all these best buddies of cassavetti's cassavetti's making his own movies on his own dime in his backyard often using his house mm-hmm. and properties of his friends, putting his friends in movies, giving his friends some of their best roles ever. The great, like this perfect partnership. And I love all his, when all your friends are guys like Peter Falk and Ben Gazzara <laughs> and Seymour Cassell, you know, yeah, these are guys I want to see on screen just improv Exactly. That's, yeah, just point a camera at them and, and let them go. Yeah, and they, a lot of them just made big careers out of it. Columbo is just a feels like Peter Falk improving his way through mm-hmm. whole scenes that are probably that intricately scripted thing. Every you know you can get the sense that uh, in like in Big Lebowski when he said everything the dude everything the dude was scripted to a T. Oh right, right. You know there was nothing Bridges said he was putting on that. He said everything was on the page. He was reading it as it was. Some of these guys, I don't get the feeling that's how Cassavetti's made his. <laughs> I think uh, everybody influenced by Cassavetes wants to get that kind of freewheeling, uh, just let these people talk and then the gold will come out, you know, but it's not as easy as it looks. Right. There's so much non-footage in this movie Yeah. that, nev- e- that doesn't feel like dead time. To yeah, me. even the stuff that's in this movie, there is a lot of, d- yeah, dead air. Yeah. A lot of in between, uh, yeah, at this nightclub, we really get to sit in between the acts and <laughs> wait for the next act to start and for the costume change. And every, and uh, yeah, Ben Gazzara's on the uh, intercom at the beginning. There's, uh, hey, let's give it up for the girls. And he just doesn't, very slowly killing time between the acts. He and, doesn't even seem to, he's this, we get the sense he's a really smooth guy. Right. But at the same time, he appears sometimes to just have no charisma whatsoever <laughs> and him killing time while the girls change between numbers and get some water is so like he has no banter yeah exactly. he has no material and these guys are usually slick you know for a guy who's put so much effort into everyone else this is the thing 
all the song numbers. He makes, you know, all the meticulous, the drinks that are served, all these things. Yet he's just not, he's just up there improv and, and not filling time well. He's a guy who, who has clearly put his whole heart into this nightclub. This is his love. He, this is his baby. Yeah. I don't know if he's any good at it. Right. Yeah, well, you don't get the sense that it's bad. You don't know. Like Sometimes the, people like the, are the really club responding looks well. kind of shitty to yeah. me. <laughs> and the song and dances that they do with their star, Mr. Sophistication, Legend. and uh, these you know three or four ladies that he has dancing for him, mm-hmm. they're... I, I don't know if I would find them entertaining if I was in the nightclub well, uh, watching. It, it's it's like, God bless him, but you get this, this kind of <laughs> sucks. <laughs> I, I like these movies like this because I think the best ones, like Uncut Gems, show you someone who is floundering mm-hmm. and makes a lot of bad decisions, but in a lot of ways is good at some important things and sometimes can actually back up what he's doing. And so I think there's some bad mistakes that he's made and continues to make, obviously, as we get deeper into this movie. But then <laughs> you get a sense he does have an actual eye for talent. These are uh, his DeLovelies, Mr. Sophistication and the yeah. DeLovelies. Uh, you know, there's, they're very pretty ladies. They're at, nice looking at, ladies. At, uh, at the, the Crazy Horse West. Yeah. And so you get this sense that he kind of, the way he auditions another actress and the way he talks to these girls... You get the sense that he's kind of fallen backwards and gotten lucky a couple times. Mm-hmm. Met a girl right at the right time. And you get a little feeling of that early when he's not talking to a girl in a bar. He clears his debts. We kind of open in the first few minutes. We see him clearing a what sounded like a long, long, many years debt. Yeah, exactly. To a guy. Did They say seven years, but they could have been talking about something else. The movie doesn't always be clear I'm, about yeah, that. Yeah, I'm not... The movie's goes out of its way not to be clear about things yeah um it doesn't tell you exactly what's going on you get put you, into the situations exactly. with them and you're just figure it table. out from the language yeah you're at the table while while it's happening but i i almost got the sense that maybe that original debt was even like the uh business related sure like he went into debt for the the nightclub wouldn't and be was shocking. paying that back but uh yeah we get him getting out of debt uh at the beginning of this movie He's got his girlfriends. He's mm-hmm. well. See that that scene I, right after he gets out of debt, tells the guy off. You know, so the guy tries to smooth talk him, and Cosmo gives him like a, I don't want to ever see you again. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like you're a dirtbag. He's not he, a guy that wants to play this mob game. Yeah, it's clearly like he mob keeps finding himself happening in a delinquency to the wrong people. Right, but he is a guy who views himself as class. I think so. Yeah, above. He it. views himself above it all. Yeah, he gets down in it, but he is uh, getting out of that life. He's very classy. He runs a classy place here. Exactly. Yeah, he's not running drugs or anything out of the club. It's a. Mm-hmm. It's a very upfront. He had a vision operation. for how to run a strip club with song and dance routines and minimal nudity. It's a bold some, risk. Some good nudity. It's a risk, though. but it does also play into that seventies like campiness of pornography. Just how they brought it to the masses, how they got couples to go see it in theaters, mm-hmm. turn it into a, a comedy. It's silly, and he kind of plays into that same feeling. But you realize just exactly. I, I said earlier that people don't come out better for things in Cassavetti's movies, and you said right after he pays this debt, 
right after. The next you scene. Get, you literally the next morning. The yeah. earliest possible opportunity that this guy is in the clear. The guy he pays his final debt to even says, now you can actually make money for yourself. <laughs> the guy's been in Fuck for... that. Yeah, who knows how long Gazara has been making money for everybody else that he owes money to, and now he's finally clear. And then... In the morning, a you get the sense this is early a.m. The yes. sun is bright. You see the sun shining bright into your face. So bright, so <laughs> blindingly bright. You're getting some lens flare oh in my a Cassavetes movie. It is shi- that There's, sun. Oh. There, it's either pitch black or there's some sort of <laughs> harsh, harsh light in this movie at all times. It's that, I'm not complaining. It's, it's that natural light yeah. feel, you know. It's uh, there's also great shots of like the street lamps all lit up blue, and mm-hmm. and he's in the in the club itself is very like red and purple and very saturated colors like that on the stage. The simplicity of the lighting because of him just using available lighting. It's yeah, all natural. All it's, natural. It, it adds to that cinema verite. You got the handheld camera. You got the natural lighting. The natural dialogue. Yeah. You know, guys that look like Ben Gazzara. It feels very <laughs> loose. And yeah, guys that look like Ben Gazzara and a lot of other great faces in this movie. Well, we're about to get meaty, into it, huh? Meaty, pockmarked uh, faces. Great uh, great shots of a bunch of great dudes. So Gazzara's got his limo. He's got his tux. He's debt-free. He's got a bunch of corsages. And he's, <laughs> he's going to the prom with these ladies. He's picking up... The prettiest dancers from the Crazy Horse West to just dig a deeper hole for his life. And immediately goes to uh, uh, some sort of underground <laughs> cruise like, ship casino. This casino. I, this whole scene, this is one of the one of my favorite scenes Cassavetti shot of him picking up these girls. Oh, yeah. I love these girls, uh, including the one that's like his girlfriend, uh, Rachel, in Rachel. the movie. Uh, as he calls the- her at the end. A black girl. She's the black girl. She's the black girl. There's a blonde, a redhead, and the black girl. Are the, are and Kazar's picking him up in this limo. Not a gaudy limo. No. It's like a, a guy's first limo kind of limo. Yeah, yeah. You know? It's got champagne, but it's not a stretch. No. You know, it's a long... The champagne glasses look plastic. Yes. It's exactly. that kind of... Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, again, it's that guy who, who is class in his head. But you keep seeing these examples of chintziness yeah. and the cheapness that comes through that he views as, I'm breaking into the next, I'm doing something different, something above it all. I have a very specific love for that kind of level of mobster. Mm-hmm. And we kind of get into that level of mobster too later. Yes. But like, the yeah, the, the guy that is thinks he's hot shit, but is <laughs> barely, barely getting by. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's definitely this. These career low-end criminals. Yeah. And this movie, the, when we start getting into the money figures, this movie hits a little harder because it feels attainable. Gambling addiction movies as a as a as an addiction and portrayed on film scare me more than just about you know the worst substance abuse. Right. If if I'm watching a movie where an addiction is played, gambling addiction just seems too attainable it's the one addiction also where someone will break your legs yeah. if you fuck it up yeah man like it's <laughs> like drug addiction alcohol addiction you destroy yourself yeah ga- gambling and it, addiction and it, and it someone else years. is going to yeah. destroy you ga- as well as you destroy a gambling yourself, addict right? it can go quick it can turn bad quick and i've seen oh, yeah. it happen i've known them 
and I've had friends. Who... I've taken their money. <laughs> <laughs> but it can go. It seems way oh, quicker sure. than, you know, destroying your liver or, uh, you know. It's easy, like, it's easy for someone like me to go to a local casino or go to Tahoe, mm-hmm. go to Reno for a weekend and be like, all right, I have $200. That's what I'll spend. Yes. You get the sense that a guy like Ben Gazar in this movie can't. You just can't do that. No. He just doesn't have the ability to only spend a certain amount of money. So he keeps getting credit and gets more credit and gets more credit. It reminded me of uh, the guy in The Sopranos. Oh, yeah. Played by Robert Patrick, who yeah, goes yeah. into debt. <sighs> and you just get the sense that, yeah, they're helpless. It's 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 like it's awful. It's the same thing with an alcoholic. Like, uh-huh. They are just overpowered by this thing. But it can just come so quick. Yeah. And they it's so easy for them to get deeper and deeper because it's always like, all I need is one run. I, yeah. you know, I need that things are going to break this other way. And it's such a losing system and it's tough and it's, it scares me because yeah. again, it seems attainable. The dollar figures we talk about when we get into it in this movie are like five grand to 23 grand, mm-hmm. which if I had to give somebody 23 grand right now, that'd be tough. But it's not so far away. <laughs> you know, it's not, you owe $2 million. It's like, well, exactly. I'm done. Right. I'm toast, I guess. Just take my legs. <laughs> I'm uh, never getting that back. 23000 that's closer. That's mm-hmm. a lot closer. That's believable. And Gazara has, going against him, one of the worst things a guy could have going against him in the movie is a guy who wants to be seen as a big shot. Exactly. Who wants yeah. his seat at the table, who wants the respect. He takes these three women to the casino to impress. This underground, and, and daytime, nautical theme. They're sitting casino. in white plastic chairs I gotta in this know corner. where he found this building. I <laughs> <laughs> what a room. I mean, in the 70s, it probably wasn't that hard. But yeah, the decorations here. The, so what's great is that he's gambling. He finally runs out of credit. We he, cut to- he, he tries to give the guy attitude. I love the bit where the very polite gentleman comes over and says, oh, I'm sorry, there's you don't have any more credit. And and Gazzara's giving him the like, what do you mean? I uh, Tony told me I had unlimited credit. And the, <laughs> yeah. the the attendant goes from very polite and calm to going, unlimited credit? What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. I never heard of the, unlimited credit. Like, common- he starts getting mad, yeah. like, don't fucking the bullshit Commodore, me. yeah. I've never heard. Nobody's had unlimited credit. And all That's of a not a like, thing. All of a sudden, you're like, uh-oh. And, yeah, there's that shot of the rest of the table. You hear him laughing, you know, at this guy. And even the, you know, he's there with three. That's the worst. Nobody else is there with with, uh, big-breasted women. Yeah. Nobody else. And he's got three women (laughs) with the biggest tits possible coming out of dresses dressed very differently than every other. Like, this is a man. This is a small man overcompensating and wanting to be seen like a big deal. And occasionally people do view him as a big deal. And occasionally he can come off as a big deal. But in this moment, he keeps coming off like a man way overcompensating. Yeah, totally. Everything. And it is Well, so- then once he runs out of credit, he just turns into, now he's stuck in a waiting room waiting to hear the results of his debt, basically. Yeah, basically how he's going to pay this back. So now he's stuck there in this room, and there's very large men in suits (laughs) directing other people to come with them to a secret room (laughs) where you go into a hallway with no lights, and then they open up some other secret passage door. And yeah, if if that's me, 
I'm just like, well, this is no fun. Yeah. This is not fun anymore. I've gone too far. Yeah. Pulled this... an all-nighter at the casino, <laughs> and now I've just got to wait in line to pay my debt. I love the best versions of these movies. Bad Lieutenant, as we talked about, there's a lot of debauchery of Harvey Keitel that we don't see. We come in deep into it, mm-hmm. into this guy's troubles. And Gazar's got, we don't see him gambling any of this money away. We see him picking up all these girls, and we learn these little, we kind of get a sense of all the various relationships he has with right. all of his girls and their families. And yeah, the one's mom. Mm-hmm. He's also yeah very sweet with, but he's very he's genuinely sweet with these women. Yes, like he, he genuinely cares. He doesn't come off like a con. No, with with any of the women, he his, seems his like a guy right who place. lays out who he is. Yeah, warts and all. But the way this movie has you following this, like you don't know that he's going to a casino when he's picking them up in the limo. Yeah, you don't know really exactly how much money he's put on credit until much yeah. too late. So yeah, the way you're you don't following see him this, losing any of this, you see him after he's lost it, and they're bringing a guy over to yeah. pull him away from the table. Yeah, exactly. Because he's beyond what they think he can cover. Yeah, it's and very, you're not seeing any of the the spiral. You're seeing when he hits a new bottom. It's like anti exposition, though. It's like we're mm. not gonna tell you the story. <laughs> you're just gonna have to pick up the the clues as we go because we're going. Yeah, and you do. And yeah, for as as quick as it moves through details it lingers on the atmosphere that waiting right. room man oh yeah where wh- when i talk about earlier the great set of face in this movie this boss this low end boss who's you know threatening people's lives for 5 grand 5 grand that's you know people but can in lose the 70s five grand. that yeah, was like sure, 5 sure. million yeah. <laughs> 40 grand back then right so sure but this waiting room, and you get the heavies like Timothy Carey. The he- you, this lineup, the heaviest here. of heavies. You get you get basically the Universal Monsters lineup of heavies. <laughs> yes, as dudes, you got Frankenstein, Timothy <laughs> Carey. You've got the Wolfman and Seymour Gisethel. So bushy with the, with the bushy hair. <laughs> yeah, you've got the Mummy with the old guy. Oh, that uh, the old accountant. The old accountant. With what the, a great with the guy to have on a roster of guys. Like, they just don't make people like this no. anymore. And, and yeah, the boss, definitely Dracula, right? Oh, Morgan, the, Wood, he's Morgan practical- Woodward as, as Dracula. You fill in the cape and cowl yeah. on this guy. He has such swooped back, uh, that big, fluffy, white hair. How, I don't know how over they used the to ears. do those wings. Man. It's amazing. It's we, amazing. We get some great, meaty, pockmarked face performances and also some great hair performances, especially oh, from yeah. Seymour Cassell. Oh sure. That guy is constantly doing things with his hair in this that movie. That might be my favorite like 70s look of you think anyone. Think so? The Cassell look? Yeah, that he's just got he's the perfect shaggy but it's kept the great mustache. Yeah. It's a good mustache. The clothes were great. Blonde. He's got this like blue and white suit that he's wearing. It's kind of nudie suit, looking good. Like a little bit leisure it. suit but with a little bit uh a little bit better cut. Yeah. His, and, and there's, yeah there's his just... blonde mustache. Blonde mustache is very hard to pull off. <laughs> blonde yeah. facial hair is tough. Uh, you you get the flesh beard look, and it just looks. It doesn't look good a lot of time. Mm-hmm. Cassell has just that right straw blonde mustache. Right. Bushiest mustache. Oh my god. Bushy. Mu- a lot of mustache talk in the movie. <laughs> no zapata, but a lot of a lot of other mustache talk. Like the Charlie Chan mustaches on the the bookies. Uh, oh yeah, guards. sure. But Timothy Carey, I think 
This is our first Gazzara. This might be our first Timothy Carey. It's, I think too. it's definitely our first Timothy Carey. We've seen Cassell in Boiling Point. Sure. And, uh, <laughs> How a few can I other forget things, Boiling but, Point? But yeah, Timothy Carey uh, feels a- dangerous. Timothy Carey has... He feels like he actually could hurt people on set. He has among the worst sinister energies. And <laughs> yes. he got, this guy feels crazy. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. But like, but like in... Like that transcends the character. Like yeah. you're like, I think this guy could actually hurt someone on camera right now. Yeah, man. He, Timothy, you never Carey. know when he's gonna pop. This is the guy. When I finally found him, <laughs> <laughs> he was the guy that really was like, "Why am I just watching recommended movies? I need to just be watching movies with guys like this." Mm-hmm. As long as I'm watching a movie that has a scene with Timothy Carey in it, I'm just gonna talk about like. This was great. Timothy Carey shows up as this guy talking loud in a saloon. Whatever. That's it. I don't need to remember anything about it. I got joy from that, and that's all I want. He is the guy. He is the character actor. What a weird guy. He's got the stare of Peter Stormare, <laughs> but he's got the like verbal unpredictability of like a Benicio Del Toro. His... In he, a movie that feels, he seems to just be rambling throughout yeah, this entire movie. In a movie I wouldn't be surprised super... if it's scripted, but he feels <laughs> like he's just rambling and interrupting conversations and being like, "What are we doing here? This guy owes us money. Let him pay. Let him pay. Let him pay." There's always this is really disconnect. coming hard. I, I got this sense. There's this great story where Milton Berle, this you know legendary comedian, he went on Saturday Night Live in the first or second season, which was the new kind of comedy, mm-hmm. right? And Milton Berle was at odds with the whole cast all week because they didn't know comedy. And to him, comedy was like, oh, right. like you know, double take at the camera, pause <laughs> for a bit, you know. And it was a different kind of approach to comedy. And he went out there and it didn't get the same kind of reaction because it looked older, mm. felt less fresh. And everybody else in this movie, for as loose as this flick feels... And as loosely scripted as certain scenes feel, sometimes Timothy Carey seems like he's buttoned into the wrong scene in this movie. That's how different this guy always acts. Yeah, right. It always comes off at things. But it's so, it's so entertaining. It's, the thing I like about his work is how subtle it is. <laughs> the quietness. The, the things the, he can do with just a flick of an eye. The small approach. Bro. To that he takes to the nuance of a of an ash flick. No, Timothy Carey's gonna be the only guy yelling uh-huh. in a scene where everybody else is talking like normal people. It's, <laughs> it's, it's beautiful. So, yeah, it's entertaining, but it also once we start meeting him and Seymour Cassell and these mobsters who now Ben Gazzara owes his money to. Yeah, it is some of the most tense, threatening, nerve wracking stuff because. Yeah, man. It's like that. It's just like that moment in a movie where things are just like, and you yeah. just know, well, bad shit is. That's like, me. Like training day. Like you're about to go in the bathtub, oh, dude. Man. Like it's about to get real. And this movie gets real, real quick. Yeah. And it's the plainness and the realness of it that's so jarring to me. When B- Gazara finally gets in the room with all these guys, these are not comically. built bodybuilder kind of heavies you know carrying machine guns these are older men that all have mean faces in their own ways it's men who professionally trade in violence yeah and that's their bread and butter this also captures 
one of the you're a big Sopranos guy. You mentioned it a little Absolutely. earlier here. It's maybe the best show ever, and I love the mundanity that it showed of mobster life. Yeah, just how boring and long certain things can take. It's not the flashy, glamorous. <laughs> Thing. It, it is. It looked sad and bleak a lot of times. Yeah, they're in this little room with these weird. It's like these backlit walls. It's yeah, this weird kind of cube a... room that you're stuck in. It feels like a temporary office. Yeah, that they set up in the back of this temporary casino. But the guys make you know seeing patients and seeing his dead ease, and yeah. But there's get... like this polite, the like kind of this sheen of like polite businessman ness yeah. to it, like. Well, uh, twenty-three thousand dollars is a lot of money, but uh, here, well, let's fill out f- We're form gonna get twenty-nine a for- and form seventeen. Like what? <laughs> the form, what forms? Form seventeen chat is my. F- oh. and, uh, no, no, you gave me two of the form twenty-threes. <laughs> I need one of the seventeen. These are businessmen, right, Charlie. They don't just uh, keep these things down in notes. This is official business. Gazar owes them. We never find out really in- what those forms say. Either. <laughs> yeah. just that he owes them money. Really. The numbers are so great. I love so, the like. Form right, seventeen is form the- two seventeen, and yeah. then a uh, and then the <laughs> the accountant brings over. He goes, "What you did here is you brought me two seventeens. These are two forms." Said, "Oh, oh, right, right, right." I'm sorry i'm sorry and you're you're not really getting these framed shots you're hearing this conversation as the camera swirls around you and you get the girls looking uncomfortable in the corner and you're oh, getting yeah. you know cassell kind of you know, licking his lips and well, uh carrie rolling his eyes they and... offer him a drink when he gets there and he's like no and about halfway through he's like you know i think i will have that drink yeah, that drink you know drink drinks on everyone drinks sound good uh, I'll, I'll pay it. i'll, I'll buy it. Buy it. No, I'll, yeah, pay, yeah, yeah. I'll pay for the drinks yeah <laughs> it's just there's this very like we're trying to have this professional mask, but mm-hmm. Ben Gazar knows what he's into. Yeah, he you know he knows these guys are bad news. He's probably trucked with these guys before, mm-hmm. and just that gut wrenching, like just that bottom of your stomach yeah. fear oh, that yeah. this movie generates definitely is like. Very, it was surprising to me how like, how affecting how just it like, is. Oh, f- he's so fucking fucked. <laughs> <laughs> he is. He has stepped in it now. Oh, and and yeah, they finally signed the form seventeen. Mm-hmm. He is on his way. He knows he's got to get the money going soon. Yeah, but he's got to you know get this the guy- girls home and everything. But but there's just this sense of like, what am I gonna do? Yeah. What are we gonna do? And he's how such is this a- gonna happen? Ben Gazzara has so many awkward scenes of looking like a clown who's trying to like save face. Yeah, I, act like act like it's okay. That's like, hard to it's watch. It's okay, girls. Don't worry. I it's, know what I'm doing. It's it's a cool guy version of I think you should leave when the dude's like choking to death <laughs> and he's playing it cool while he's dying. You know, Ben Gazzara does that for like an hour and forty five minutes. Ben Gazzara is basically the. <laughs> I think you should leave, guy. <laughs> yeah. But he's so, he has a charm, and he yeah. does have a likability, and he does seem like a guy that you can respect, that he's he's honest in his way. He has a code. Mm-hmm. But it is painful to watch anybody caught in a lie or caught in deep try to smile their way out of it. Right. It's and, like watching an animal that's trapped, and it's trying to wiggle its way out, mm-hmm. that kind of an idea. Like, it just, you feel pity, and then you feel like, just fear yeah because <laughs> you know it's gonna be bad and and you know it's it's relatable in a way that 
while I've never been in 23,000 to people, you run into situations unexpectedly in your life where you need to save face. And it's difficult to do so in the moment. Like, you've had too much to drink at a party, and you know, like, this is coming up right now. Mm. You, you might have the wherewithal with you to... But say you know, a few, you, you say know you're not going like, to look good. Uh, yeah, hellos yeah. on your way to the bathroom. <laughs> and uh, no, no, everything's fine here. And you look white as a ghost. Yeah. You know, you're sweating like, uh uh-huh, just oh, yeah, hey. heading down the hallway here. And then an hour later, you're still, <laughs> you know, that's Ben Gazzara, this whole movie. Just like, you know what? Let's, uh, let's, let's have a drink. Totally. Everybody, hey, we all know each come other. On, here, hey, right? hey, come on, hey. Right? It's, there's a lot of like, come on, I run a respectable business here. Like, come on, I work very hard. Mm-hmm. And then... Dipping into occasional pity. Right. That's when it gets really tough. When he's really like complaining about his, you know, how he was had to grow up poor. And yeah. when his dad was a real jerk, you know, and my mom, let me tell you about my mom. You know, this guy has issues. This guy has been uh, born with these inferiority issues that he right. keeps trying to overcome. Yeah, there's a glimpse of him having fought his whole life. Yeah. For everything. And he views himself as a fighter. And and he's He's not, a survivor. Yeah, exactly. And this movie, you're watching a guy survive. And sometimes yeah. it is tough. And this guy is hanging on. And, like, man, the sinister looks on these Hood's faces. I've always said that my favorite Hood's, my favorite gang in a movie is Dennis Hopper's gang in Blue Velvet. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I love his, sure. I love his cronies. Ooh, boy. The crew in... Chinese bookie. These are some thugs. And they keep kind of showing up and reminding Gazara. Very fat Tony. Where's the money? Where's the money, yeah. uh, Cosmo? They, they, yeah, they show up at the nightclub to check it out. Like one at a time, kind of showing them up. And all of them, still very much like, hey, this is a classy place you got there. You kind of get the sense they could still be either shining them on or they're actually into this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. To play into your theme of we don't know if this is an actual good establishment right we don't know if he's doing a good job or it not. seems like the location's good though yeah good location you, a couple of different people do say like this is a great spot yeah where they're more talking well, about that, the land value i kept yeah it's like if this movie wasn't called the killing of a chinese bookie i would have thought maybe they were going to try to take the club from him right but uh no they've got something else in mind and you talk about dark scenes man when when cassell comes and gets him Seymour Cassell is so great in this kind of role where he's really glad-handing Gazzara. And he's the nice guy. Mm-hmm. and he's But he's also the guy that's going to tell you exactly where you lie. And he's really good at that. He's smiling, but he's showing you his teeth. Uh-huh. Kind of a smile. Yes. Yeah. And Gazzara is trying to, he's trying to BS a BSer is what he's doing. And Cassell's not having it. And we get that great, you know what? It's in your best interest if you come outside. With me. Oh, yeah. You, you should Imagine, follow me outside. Yeah, I sometimes I think about that. Like in like, that's such a thing where if I wanted to act like a tough guy in real life, I'd be like, <laughs> no, really, let's step outside, and then the guy would just beat the shit out of me, like <laughs> in the club, you know. Like you got to be a real confident tough guy to grab a dude, a, another dude by the neck and be like, no, trust me, you want to step outside with me. The and best the, and thing expect you expect that guy to do what you tell him yeah, to do. You the know? best decision you can make, sir. <laughs> Is to walk outside with me just, right now. I always imagine myself trying to recreate that kind of a scene, <laughs> yeah. and then the guy just being like, dush, 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 yeah. just dick punching just, me. Just <laughs> uppercuts <laughs> right to your ribs. I'm just fucking around. 
<laughs> I mean, eventually that will happen to me inside a movie theater. <laughs> I'll tell the wrong guy to shut the fuck up. I've been on we I I it's probably good for my that's what I gamble on. Right. Is yelling at people to shut up in movies. And so far, I've escaped unscathed. All it takes is one time yeah. where I turn around. But I will also immediately beg off if I realize I am in it. If yeah. I turn around and yell at a six foot five, three hundred pound man, I will be like, "Ooh, yes!" You know, I will. Uh, it was her. Yeah, I will uh, uh, curtsy my way out of the theater yeah. and and avoid it. Uh, this Let's get him, fellas. Kazara, <laughs> just this brave face when he knows. Uh, we talked about in Killer Joe. When mm. when Digger is having his talk with him, this talking about coming out to the lake for some barbecue, you oh, know, yeah. bring him down, and then, well, you know, I'm gonna have to have these boys beat the shit out of you. <laughs> it's like Gazara is the guy who's like still like telling people, you know, thanks for coming out, thanks for coming here, I enjoy your business. When he knows he is ten seconds away from a bunch of stomach punches. Mm-hmm. Like, once Seymour Cassell takes him outside, hands him off to Timothy Carey, and Timothy Carey just drags him by the collar across the street That's, into traffic. Yeah. Cassavetti's loved filming in traffic. <laughs> Do you ever get the sense that he had any permits to film any of the car stuff in this I, movie? I had I that particular scene where Timothy Carey just walks into traffic with Ben Gazzara. <laughs> I was like, I wonder if Cassavetti's told him to do that or if Timothy Carey just did that. <laughs> yeah. If that was just Timothy Carey just walking in front of cars, because that's how crazy there are he seems so many like he stories is. of Timothy Carey getting kicked off of movie sets for being Timothy Carey. This guy is genuine weirdo. A guy that worked with all of the greats, all of them. He's probably best known uh, in Kubrick's uh, Paths of Glory. Paths of Glory and The Killing. And The Killing is seen in the, his character in The Killing is the guy who's actually shooting the horse from the parking lot. Great stuff. That's that's where I was first really familiar with who he was as a person. Yeah. But I didn't see until later in this performance, like, oh, this guy's unhinged in everything. This guy, this is his energy. But yeah, this guy worked with Kubrick. You know, he worked with, Absolutely. you know, with uh, Coppola, with all these big, huge actors. This was a guy that people wanted to work with and then did not want to work with. <laughs> and then stopped wanting to work with. This guy just is somebody who... And that Cassavetes was drawn to these kind of guys, guys that carve sure. their own paths. The is guys, this the only Carrie Cassavetes uh, collaboration? He might have been in Minion Moskowitz. Uh, mm. It's been I've only seen it once. It Kim, seemed like with all the best, Carrie was in two of their movies. Right, <laughs> you get two. The second time was like, okay, no, he is this guy. <laughs> but you know, he made his own movie, much like Cassavetes, although this is a cheap one. Mm. This movie called The World's Greatest Sinner. With original music by Frank Zappa and the Mothers. Okay. Before they were a big, big thing. That's he made cool. his own movie in his backyard. It was cheap. It was, uh, it's, it, you can still buy it, like from his son. You know, that's where to access it. But it's great. It's this guy making his own movie about a, you know, fabled rock star hmm. who makes a deal with the devil. And that's, he's a guy like a weirder, louder, more brazen Cassavetes. You just get the sense that he casts the different parts of his personality. And peppers his whole movies with them. But Carrie, yeah, just dragging him. There's this story where I really learned this guy was a maniac. Yeah, you got to tell this story. Where he came to a movie premiere with, like, his mother. You know, for one of the, one of his big, you know, look him up on IMDb. He's in 
some amazing stuff. And the outfit is one we'll talk about eventually. Oh, I love yeah. The outfit. Oh, yeah. I forget which premiere it was, but he shows up, and it's a you know important event, and he has his mother with him. And he's being, like, the the longer the night goes on, he's ruder and louder and, like, telling his mom to shut up and really, like, laying into his mom and eventually builds and builds until he takes her cane and starts hitting her with the cane. And it all comes out later that it was just some actor that he hired to play his mom <laughs> so he could beat his mom in front of a whole studio. That was and a bit all, he came up with. That was with. a bit that he was just working on his own. So it was this weird Andy Kaufman kind of mentality just to burn as many bridges <laughs> as possible and still get used by all these creative minds. But yeah, the guy who thinks it's a great idea to be like, oh, I'm going to be at this one event. It's you know the reason... They're never going to give Jim Carrey any kind of Oscar. It's the reason they didn't give Adam Sandler a mm. nomination for Uncut Gems. They're like, oh, he might come up and sully our Oscar <laughs> stage, you know? What if Jim Carrey talks out of his butt <laughs> and does that kind of bit? Well, Carrey's the kind of guy that thought a cool bit to do would be to assault his mother in front of all of his coworkers. <laughs> like, yeah, that'll, that'll show him what kind of guy I am. Just a weirdo. Well, at least and it I, wasn't his actual mother. Correct. He was probably a sweetheart to his actual mother. I would, he also I in, would hope so. He also invented a middle name at some point. Yeah, he is uh, credited as Timothy Agoglia Carey in this yeah, movie. I don't think his middle name is really Agoglia. I don't... That was like, uh, you know what? I, my name needs a little a little spice. A little more Italian. And so, yeah. What a gem. I've sh- I think I've shown you him in random stuff more than like anything. Yeah, he's also that guy that was in every TV show in the 60s and 70s. Right? <laughs> yeah, he, he so stopped he getting a lot of movie gigs. Of then thing. he was just in like an episode of Chips yeah. and an episode of Manics McCloud. Or something, yeah. And uh, he actually, this is that Cassavetes connection, it looked like he was going to be a regular on Columbo. Mm. The first three or four episodes of Columbo, he like is a guy owning a diner that Columbo stops in every episode. Oh, funny. And then it just stops. I imagine it's just like, I can't work with this guy. We did four episodes. That's three too many. Yeah, right. And so, yeah. That's... Get rid of the diner. <laughs> get rid of the diner character. You can just get his coffee without us seeing it. Uh, but I love this guy. I've watched so many things. I've watched movies where Timothy Carey shows up as a guy with like one line at mm-hmm. a bar. Because this guy is the most. That's all you need, honestly. He goes a long way. This and... is a great, yeah, this is a great bit for him to have. Mm-hmm. As... This is probably one of his meteor parts because he uh he uh yeah he uh does he actually beat up ben gazzara in that alley yeah after he drags him through weird, the street he just like hard beats... to follow yeah, like yeah. the camera is moving around so much and is so close to them that you're kind of just seeing bodies moving and like not really getting the full it's kind of like a christopher nolan fight scene in batman you know it's like well what ex- is happening except here? in these mo- as, as much as you don't see in in this movie i still g- always had a sense of where I was at. Whereas a yeah, Christopher yeah. Nolan movie, I'm like, is this guy shooting from two feet away from this guy or like a hundred yards? I'm not sure. Yeah. This one, yeah, no, Carrie drags him into traffic, beat you know, beats the shit out of him in bit. the alley before taking him back to jam himself into a Oldsmobile with six other men and then drag him down to a diner with six guys <laughs> shoved into one booth. This great, like, this is a scene that Tarantino ripped off for Reservoir Dogs. It felt sure. like like this is a very like these six guys in this booth. They're talking. They're kind of two talking are off over in their own other. conversation. They're talking yeah. past and into it. Yeah, and uh, they eventually come around to talking to Gazara about 
hey, we got this guy. He's yeah. been a problem for us You're in, in for Chinatown. Us deep. <laughs> and uh, yeah, they basically, without saying it, ask him to commit the killing of a Chinese bookie. Yeah. They yeah they don't say like to pay off the debt. Timothy Carey is the only one who keeps pounding the table every couple minutes and go like, what do we even do? Like, why are we dragging it out this far? Right. This guy owes us money. But like, I, stop. I also feel like that his role was to kind of like keep like make make sure Ben Gazzara knows like if you don't do this, <laughs> yeah. we will take the debt out on you. Yeah. The like, other some of the other guys Cassell's the guy who kinda makes it sound like Ben Gazzara has options, even though he's only presenting one option. Mm-hmm. But he's presenting it in a in a frank, nice way. And kind of give there's it's like he's giving him his odds. Right. Which you don't have to do. You know, and he's kind of telling him how it is. And Carrie's the guy that's there to remind him that you don't have to He's an the option. bad cop. Carrie's the ultimate Bad cop. <laughs> yeah. If there's a Cassell being a good cop, or and even Cassell the, doesn't ever come off good. The but the, the boss really is the the guy Morgan Woodward who mm-hmm. plays the old boss. He's the guy that definitely is p- playing the good role. Yeah. But uh, he's the understanding guy. Man, it's just so. It's one of those where it's behind the eyes. Yeah, man. There's just some. There's just this. Some of these this, guys. I don't know. I, I, it's almost hard to describe. It's you like, take these some of these guys and put them in a different environment, and they don't seem as mean. Yeah. You know, Somehow, other than Timothy Carey. Yeah, yeah, but exactly. But C. Marcusell can have really kind eyes. He has big, expressive eyes. And most they most people kind. know him probably for the Wes Anderson movies, where he's right. the sweetest dude in <laughs> Rushmore and, and uh, Royal Tenenbaums and stuff. And they have no idea that he also plays the best like slightly one step up scum yeah. level of crime. Yeah. Uh yeah. But yeah, the, the Boiling the, Point is one of him and Boiling Point is one of my favorite character a, actor performances ever. And he's totally different in this movie. And he as nice as some of these guys can come off elsewhere, they're all, like you said, it's behind the eyes. Yeah. And they're they're kind they're of, sharks. They're it's like that thing. It's the mm-hmm. the lifeless <laughs> yeah, but they're also you do get the sense that they are kind of impressed by Gazara. He keeps surprising them a bit. He's not a jellyfish like some of the other guys they see. And he talks back to him a little bit and they don't really do anything for him talking about. It. You get the sense he was going to take that beating no matter how he played it. Right. And he's but- a guy that pushes his boundaries a little bit and you can tell that bugs him a bit, but they also take certain parts easier. Then they kind of, we get one little sense of how they treat other people, right? But in one of the guys that that group deals with before Gazara, and so they are treating him a little better, even though he's in deeper. Well, you get the sense that they know how to use people, yeah. And they kind of find out that he was in the war, and he says he killed a couple guys. And as soon as he says he's killed a couple people, you uh-huh. see them kind of light up like this guy could actually do this thing we need, yeah. Because That's... there's no way a normal person is going to be able to commit a murder that you just. You can't bring yourself to it. It's a real. But they know they might be able to get this guy. <laughs> yeah, it's it's one of the most that. important scenes in the movie, and it's so good. And like you said, that Reservoir Dog scene where there's other conversations and there's a din the whole time. You know, things get quiet when they find out about his action in the war, and it doesn't come up in a braggadocious way, but it comes up in a related way. You know, there these are guys. There's a generation that went through the war. And he's from that. Mm-hmm. And he was a poor. We find out he's poor. So we know he probably didn't have a choice. He had to go. And when they find out he, he's killed men, 
and more keeps coming out. And you don't know if he's bullshitting at first, but then he has too many details. You know, I killed a bunch of men. I used an M1. You know, and they're, mm-hmm. they get the sense they're kind of interested. No they're fascinated. Yeah. I'm not <laughs> going to pretend to be a Some kind of a gun. <laughs> but you get the sense that they're shaking this guy down. But at a certain point in the story, they get more interested and they get genuinely more interested in him. Mm-hmm. We come to find out that there's this other boss that they can't get close to. And for whatever reason, like you said, you can't just teach a normal man to kill. This guy's killed before, and that's a long time ago, but he's killed before. I personally have not killed much tougher f- me neither much tougher to, to talk me into killing a guy to pay off a debt exactly this guy's killed before maybe he's a little coercible especially when they let him know that he has no other option <laughs> right this is it and man when they're when they get him into this car post diner seat when they come back they give him another option and he doesn't go through with it mm-hmm. they give him the option to kind of give up his girls and you get the sense that uh, yeah, there was this there's this brief moment where they kind of okay, well, you can bring the girls over, and I just, I would assume essentially prostitute them, right? And and that'll has, pay some has, of the debt. Yeah, he has too much love for those girls to do that though to them. So it's an important thing yeah, to yeah. note that he could have sold out his friends, right? And he could have put other people under the bus without them knowing, but he cares about them, and yeah, he blows off this important $10,000 debt-clearing meeting to just hang out with them mm-hmm. instead. It's stupid, probably. <laughs> Got him in worse. Things yeah, went yeah. immediately worse for him, but he couldn't do it. It's his own problem, and he recognizes that. He's not doesn't want to get anybody else involved. He never begs for something that he doesn't think he deserves. But once they get him into this car and lay out the plan, it's this awful moment of like, okay, look, you're doing the hit. Also, here are the most complicated instructions <laughs> on everything you need to do possible. Absorb like six minutes of information, including very complicated freeway interchange directions. Very complicated directions. Also, there's a bunch of guards. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, you got to go up and around and do this and that. Oh my gosh, this plan is so... Oh my God, the plan's still going. And you're finding out that this is like, you have no choice. The car we're going to use is right behind you. It's hot. We just stole it. You have maybe a good hour to use it before it's it's too hot. So then you got to take this bus connection to get over to La Brea. And then, oh my gosh, then park there, walk seven blocks uphill to get... These things just keep getting deeper. And I'm already like... Man, you better hope this guy was born and raised in the greater L.A. area. <laughs> I know. This is tough. He doesn't know where he's going. And that's before we even get to all the... Comp- all right. So when you get to the bookie's house, the trip wires are located... Oh, shit. Yeah, right? It's a tripwire trip situation trip that, that I'm going in solo. Okay. How good is Timothy Carey giving his preferences on the guns? Yeah, he's got the thirty-eight. He's like, no, I prefer if I was going in. Mostly, if it was me, if I yeah. was going in. That is yeah. the quietest I've ever heard Timothy Carey act <laughs> when he's practically mumble whispering to Gazara, like, if I was the one going in there, <laughs> this is the one I. But you, you, you're different. <laughs> the respect that Timothy Carey gradually keeps earning for Gazara throughout this movie was a weird, unexpected <laughs> character development, but. It's kind of shocking how into it Gazar is. I, even having seen this movie so many times, I'm always surprised at how early him getting assigned this hit comes. I know this. Yeah, 
this being the shorter version, I guess it probably uh, has something to do with it. But yeah, he's uh, it, it's an action sequence, right? Kind of in the middle of this movie of him, yeah, infiltrating this. This movie becomes this a gang a stealth area. shooter like really quick. Yeah, he's yeah he becomes this hitman, and you yeah you see him kind of sneak into the place and duck around the guards and oh what he's, a shot he's in the room with the the old man who's the bookie is uh, you know showering or, or bathing bathing or in his indoor pool you and, get uh, you get this great sense that Cassavetes just drove by this location and filmed the came up with this whole part of the story yeah. just around this because it's this great long driveway at kind of the top of a, a gradual hill with this cool lit A-frame house in the front, which the hoods describe as that's where the guards hang out. Mm-hmm. You're going to need to stop at a joint. Oh, get yeah. Get some beef. It's got to get hamburgers. got to get 12 burgers should to, do. Uh, they got three dogs. The dogs. Yeah. All right, I got to take this. And they literally tell him, he's like, Take the taxi back. You don't want... They're giving him the absolute detailed instructions. It's like the Godfather scene. Pull the gun down. Absolutely. Drop it to the side. Walk 100%. straight out. Nobody will be looking at you. They are giving you every movement. They're giving you the tools you need, only they're throwing you into an unwinnable situation. This is Cassavetti's Godfather. That's, it is. I think that's yeah. the way you got to look at it. Yeah. Yeah. And... <laughs> ben this... Gazzara is Michael Corleone. <laughs> you, uh, you laugh. So we're we're not far from Coppola's winery. Have you ever been up to Rustic, the restaurant at uh, Coppola's? Uh, have I been to the Rustic? I don't know. So I don't think inside so. his winery, he has a lot of memorabilia. Mm-hmm. He has, uh, and upstairs, he has the desk, Don Corleone's desk for The Godfather. And in a glass case, he has his Oscars. He has uh, some notes and other ephemera. Mm-hmm. And in, there is a handwritten note on there of his dream Godfather cast. This is uh, this is just up in Geyserville here, okay. 20, yeah, mi- yeah. 20 miles north from us. And on that note, next to Al Pacino, the vertical line in between, Ben Gazzara. Oh, shit. Is on that note. Ben Gazzara is not in any of the Godfather movies. He is on the piece of paper that Coppola wrote as his Coppola dream cast. Wow. Gazzara's career would be very different <laughs> if yeah. he was Michael Corleone. So would Al Pacino's if he wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That is... There it is on an actual piece of paper. That's crazy. <laughs> a guy's career could go... Gazzara had an incredible career, but very different and very different projects than what Al Pacino ended up doing. So there you go. This is... Wow. Uh, I didn't even know that. <laughs> this is uh, Cassavetti's godfather in a lot of ways. And this... Yeah, this action scene in the middle of this movie. I know, right? As he infiltrates this bookie who... He doesn't know any of these people. He doesn't know anything. He knows he knows some of the guards because he knows they hang out in the crazy horse sometimes. That's right. He does. He recognizes their sideburns and their Charlie Chan mustaches. <laughs> all these, all the guards look like that one dude who occasionally shows up in the background of The Simpsons. Oh yeah, he's like an Asian guy, but has like a cool like Charlie Chan mustache and like kind of looks like a '70s rocker. The guy, yeah, he. I think The Simpsons character does the karaoke. <laughs> yeah. He's just a weird background guy occasionally. Yeah. Like, all the guards look like that guy. And we get some extended soaking sequences <laughs> from our Chinese bookie. A little splash. Some, uh, some splash and Tasteful fun nudity from this old Chinese man. Yeah. But all this awful detail that Gazzara doesn't get told, like, it's not just a criminal that lives there. It's the families. It's like a whole compound where kids live 
and in tons of innocence. Yeah, this isn't just some bookie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they actually told him it was a bookie, but it's this is basically the the Don Corleone of the Chinese mafia. They that they, they send in after. Gazzara unwittingly to kill one of the biggest crime bosses yeah. in the West. <laughs> And Gazzara somehow does it. He pulls it off. Yeah. It's like I said earlier, he lucked into having very attractive strippers working at his very weird strip club. And they make allusions to that. Like some of the girls complain about the axe. Mm -hmm. Like I want to do more, like a little more than this. And you get the sense he fell into some of these, uh, lucked into some of these ladies in the same way he lucked into, there's a shot of him walking past the front of this house. And one guard just happens to be turned another way, right. like looking at something else. Gazzara, what? It's not like he did anything special to get by this guy. He didn't even know the guy was there. Mm-hmm. It just shows him getting lucky in three different spots throughout this thing. This job that he didn't realize was as serious as it was, and then we spend the rest of the movie just kind of finding out how serious. We also then spend the rest of the movie arguing about more <laughs> nightclub acts. <laughs> Like after after the deed is done, he makes his escape. He kills two other guards. Yeah. Besides the, yeah, the he has bookie. to shoot his way out. He has to take. You're a talking bus reservoir and, dogs, man. Yeah, this yeah. is the plan where the plan that you're told and the thing that you've worked through for months. Somebody was keeping some details from you. Exactly. Somebody was working against you in ways that you weren't let in on. So he had to shoot his way out. But we go through all of that. He but, makes his escape. But even then, the luck that this guy falls into. He catches a bus at the bottom of the hill, just happened to be coming by right when he he gets on, as he sprints down the hill as a guy who looks like a guy running from a crime, and then gets off of the bus right at a stop where he sees a taxi, and there he Picks up a bunch... I don't know. In New York, yes, you can just pick up taxis. Mm -hmm. In L.A. and and on the West Coast, that's not how taxis work. I mean, I don't know how downtown L.A. worked in the (laughs) mid-70s, honestly. Well, for him to just, yeah, find all these taxis just hanging out. But yeah, there in was LA, a lot of luck. Maybe. But even when this guy is in the deepest shit of his life, he is in quicksand, man. He is still stopping at a payphone to like, all right, all right, how's the act going? That Tell me about... <laughs> that's the most telling scene of the whole movie, is that, yeah, he is in with the mob, committing mob murders now. And yeah, he calls the nightclub to see <laughs> what's going on there. Yeah, he's Who, checking in to make sure things are well, running How can smooth. it be the Paris bit if there's only two girls on stage? And uh, and he's talking to one guy, and then another guy gets on the phone because he can't understand the first guy. And yeah. It's just that perfect, like, realistic con- phone conversation scene where he's just like, was it Scotty that he Sonny. keeps? Sonny. 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 Is it the Paris number? Is Tell me Paris? it's the Paris number. Are there signs? P-A-R. You've been- <laughs> yeah. You've been here seven years. You don't know the Paris number? Yeah. He goes, well, are they singing this song? <laughs> and then, and then, he, then, he, and then he goes... And he starts singing the song, you know, da da da. <laughs> Funniest scene of the movie, most endearing scene of the movie, and really the the scene that just shows you how much that he has so much love for this thing. Yeah, and everything he is doing, yeah, he is doing for the crazy horse. And then he escapes the Chinese bookie. He gets double crossed by the mobsters. Duh. <laughs> yeah. Like somehow he did not think that the guys who hired him to assassinate a rival boss were not gonna just turn on him. And, but he also at like the same time. What else was he gonna do? Yeah, this no, was I, his. Uh, he was trapped, right? Yeah, this was his uh, only shot. 
So we get that nice. You have to. That's the thing. When you get in with these kind of people, you have to trust no that they're out. going to keep their end of the bargain. And if they don't, well, it was going to happen to you one way or the other, I guess. So you ha- he had to trust that these that this was going to clear his twenty three grand. And then he just keeps finding out how much worse. But then he kind of has their weird respect. They're kind of afraid of him. Yeah. Now, they, they think that they've actually like unlocked a killing machine. And there's this weird fear when they're still trying to schmooze him. And they're still trying to scare him. But they're hesitant now around Cosmo. He's more of a survivor than right. they realize. Well, and that's the great thing with the low-level mob that you get. Mm-hmm. Where these guys are not invincible. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, the Seymour Cassell kind of sweating when he's hearing the news about, like, oh, shit, he actually killed that yeah, dude. Yeah, he actually killed this guy? And they're like, oh, fuck. We, like, you could tell they didn't think he was going to make it. <laughs> they did not think he was going to make it. Yeah. And uh, the fact that he made it and was, like, back after <laughs> killing, they're like, oh, fuck. They were sending him on a suicide mission. Oh, yeah. And if he died, you know... Without killing him? Just well, some random nightclub owner, like, no way to tie it back to them kind of a thing. Exactly. But they were hoping, as you're getting from Cassell's, what you think is going to be good news for him. And you realize uh-huh. this is something more when Cassell's like, oh, we kind of thought that both of these problems would kind of eliminate themselves. <laughs> we didn't We didn't think this guy would be back in town. And, who? Uh, okay. Yeah, right. And so, yeah, Cassell is now doing the same kind of... Uh, pretending everything's actually doing pretty okay to talk with the table of other people. And then he has to go talk to Timothy Carey. And he's, you get the sense that all these hoods are trying to pass off. <laughs> the, exactly. All right. Uh, so now we have some work to do. Someone and, needs to go take care of them. Yeah, yeah. We're establishing some hierarchies really quickly of who can kind of shove somebody else into doing something that they should be doing. And this movie just keeps... The more obsessed he gets with his club and realizing that his club is his identity at this point. And he is fighting. And he all he cares about is getting back to this club. And the people that he loves in his life that he does care about are just getting more and more scared of him. And more turned off by the unstoppable danger that he keeps inviting. Yeah, Rachel, I think, leaves the black girl. She mm-hmm. takes off. She's done with him. And he also has this tender weird relationship with her mother yeah where it's he he really cares for this this mother and daughter he's dating the daughter but you get a weird sense that he used to date the mom (laughs) but uh, i i don't know he he's so he treats her like his own mother yeah yeah. he also treats her kind of like an old lover (laughs) but also he's dating her daughter and Cassavetes does not bother to explain any of these relationships. He no. d- his movies are filled with unexplained relationships, and you just watch and determine for yourself. And Love Streams is, is filled with <laughs> confusing, mm. difficult relationships. And, yeah, this you get a sense this woman isn't really an actor, not much of one, the, the woman playing Rachel's mom. And when she's just finally done with Gazara's, like, his charm finally wore too thin. Mm-hmm. And she still likes him and she still loves him, but she's finally seeing through to its side that she didn't, qu- a depth she didn't realize was quite there. And she knows this guy better than maybe anyone. And that's this low moment. And then you get him just trying to kind of joke his way out of it again, where he's, he's understanding, but he's just flailing. His material's yeah. bad. 
He's making jokes. He has a weird outburst where he'll just yell in your face. You know, it's a spiraling man. And it's Gazara portrays a tough spiral to yeah. watch. Someone who just wants to yell out but is trying to hold it all in to yeah. play cool, yeah. And, yeah, we get this very tense, very scary shoot where basically the mob now... I don't get this. I don't know if they are trying to scare him that now the whole Chinese mafia is after him or what? Because they, I don't know <laughs> yeah, if they I'm would not... actually know him. They seem like they are trying to kill him, but they give up pretty quickly on trying to kill him. Well, and but... then, yeah, they, they seem like they're trying to let him know that he's in this great danger, but you never hear from the Chinese mob again. Yeah, so we, I think they, they don't are, seem to know. I who... interpret it as them trying to trick him into thinking that the whole Chinese mafia is after him, so now he needs their protection. I think they, instead of uh, trying to take this guy who now they're kind of afraid of, whether they have the right to be or not, they don't know how many breaks he lucked into. They just think this guy's, you know, solid snake. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> stealthing through this Chinese uh, maze Killing to, to kill, like, stuff. everybody on site and bring in 25 squad cars out <laughs> and then just showing up at the crazy horse and be like, all right, we got a lot of great girls here. <laughs> so they're like, who is this guy? Who, yeah, exactly. Who is and so they're all kind of trying to pass the buck and kind of con him into, like, being on their side almost. Like, maybe we want this guy working f- with us. And uh, I keep s- sensing all those different emotions from all these guys. Timothy Carey respects him too much to pull off the hit now. You get Timothy Carey, like, babbling. Like, he's questioning everything about his career choices seeing in the face of Gazara and Gazara that moment where he realized he is does have the upper hand over Timothy Carey and he gets so immediately cocky again he's just like just walk away yeah you know he just yeah tells him to like get, at get least, in the car and take off at least you tried buddy take off like <laughs> wow the immediate you were this guy this guy might have been forced into a situation but you get the way he's a survivor and he's good at it he has skill. You get that sense of skill. Just mm-hmm. like Uncut Gems. You get the sense like, this guy does actually have something here. He <laughs> he is painful as hell to watch. But there is something there. He's not just fooling himself into every mm-hmm. increase in his life. Cosmo has something. He's not totally full of shit. Yeah. Yeah. And it just plays out in ways that I don't expect and can't really explain. Cosmo's dying of a gunshot wound for... Ages. Slowly dying with that yeah. pink blood on his jacket. Spending an hour of the movie slowly bleeding out, basically. Man, another Reservoir Dogs. Uh, yeah, really. <laughs> and the whole... Yeah, but then like the whole last like 20 minutes of the movie is back at the nightclub. He's settling a dispute between Mr. Sophistication oh and the God. dancers. They're having these prima donna kind of arguments. And so yeah, he's he that that's the very clear scene where he is Cassavetti's the director. Yes. Who's gone through hell and back <laughs> just to make this work. And now after everything, after taking lives, <laughs> he's got to make Mr. Sophistication feel like he's valued as a performer. No, we like you. You know, we need you. We funny, love you. It's this funny it, take that Cassavetti does where the last 10 minutes of the movie, the focal character while Gazar is bleeding out the focal character of the movie becomes Mr. Sophistication. And you get the sense that Cassavetes is a guy who was an, he was a great actor. Mm-hmm. Uh, an award-nominated actor. You know, so good in movies like The Dirty Dozen. And, uh, you know, 
there was this great ep- you talk about him working with guys he likes one of my favorite columbo episodes with his buddy peter falk he's the killer cassavetes oh yeah yeah and it's just 90 minutes of falk and cassavetes two best buddies riffing within their characters you know i love you know rosemary's baby this guy's yeah, good yeah he also hated acting <laughs> he only did acting to earn money so he can make his movies. Mm-hmm. And you get the sense this Mr. Sophistication is this buffoonish cartoon like, I'm compromising myself doing this material and I don't like it. And, you know, I'm getting criticized for doing this stuff. And I just want to do my own thing. And I don't feel like I get enough respect for that. And you get, I don't think Mr. Sophistication takes up that much of the last 10 minutes of the movie if it wasn't supposed to be Cassavetes himself putting him out on the stage, whether the reactions are good in the house that night or bad, kind of dying up there with your material sometimes because you are winging it in a lot of ways. It just feel, This whole movie just feels like him. One of the very last scenes is Mr. Sophistication on the stage doing this a cappella song, very slow mm-hmm. song, and you could tell that he thinks he's like building to this emotional moment and yeah. one of the girls just comes up behind him and like does this little like just flare, lights off a little flare next little, to like, him. fire magic trick and just like the defeat and yeah. just like you can see in his eyes he just wants to scream and stomp <laughs> off stage and throw a fit it's so like you said that final and it's just like why now are we <laughs> watching mr sophistication just sweat his makeup off on stage it's... i so love funny. that scene with Gazara rallying the troops all he want he is like you said he's killed men he's killed many men (laughs) in one evening men that he didn't know and men that he like he's in he's in with now several other people his problems are not over right his problems are at the the end of this movie they are beginning yeah (laughs) he is bleeding out and there are now even more people that are gonna be coming like this is bad and he is still up there making jokes well, the audience is there. We got to give him a show. Yeah. You know, that his whole mentality is like audience first almost. Yeah. This man is a Crazy. content provider. He's a showman. Is what he is. Yeah. And that you got to you got to put out that content. Nothing could get in the way of the content. This guy cares so much about the show must go on. He buys into that fully. And that scene with him and the ladies and placating Mr. Sophistication who is so mopey. Oh, yeah. And so upset that he sings his songs, but the women with the biggest breasts possible get all the attention. <laughs> you know, It's just not fair. It's just not fair. And Gazar goes, I mean, Teddy, come on. Like, look at, look at these. Like, who is going to care about? You know, he's laying it out. He's just like Seymour Cassell giving him his odds. Like, Teddy, you're up against deep odds, man. Like, Look at this set over here. Yeah. You're not competing with this. You know? <laughs> and, and, yeah, and Teddy kind of... Uh, yeah, and he goes out and does his version of his entertainment. You know, what he brings, what he calls kind of sloppy, but unique. Mm-hmm. His own thing. This is this guy. is a collection of people doing what they think is art <laughs> to the right. best that they can. And that's why I think Mr. Sophistication is the sloppiest, disheveled Cassavetes. You know, he's not the in deep, he's not the harried, he's not the tough guy. So this is the insecure, super inferior, like, why am I doing this still, Cassavetes? Right. It's beautiful. I love this <laughs> movie so much. This movie resonates so deep with me on so many levels, and I just respect it as 
the art that this guy made it. Uh, he's such an impressive filmmaker. Just has to be the most important American independent filmmaker of all time. Just incredible the drive this guy had to create this art. Uh, I don't know where you can see this movie. Uh, this is the more available cut of the movie. Criterion did the release with both the long cut and this version. Yes. Which I believe I prefer. But seek it out. Find it. And we're going to have a second part of this episode. Oh, man. I don't know how this second part's going to go. We're going to watch... I don't know. Yeah, this is a thing we haven't... We've never done one episode on the same movie twice. Yeah, it's going to be... Because I can't imagine we're going to give you guys the blow-by-blow details of the yeah, plot. Yeah, there's like going to be a lot of did. details, but there there are a lot of differences so we'll, we'll, in the we'll, two movies. Yeah, we'll explore the differences. We'll explore the the... the Maybe the f- different feelings that the, the two yeah, edits will it, give us. They, we'll see. Yeah, the different atmosphere. Or it the could just be, uh, yeah, that two and a half hour version is too fucking long. <laughs> it could just he be as He was right to that. recut that movie. Yeah, exactly. But I have seen this shorter version three times as much as I've seen the longer one. I come back to this one a lot more. So I'm excited to come into this one, the long one again. Yeah. Fresh eyes, clear heart. I just wanted <laughs> to speak to me. It's a different movie for the same movie. And I'm excited to talk about it. Uh, we'll be back in just a moment mm. with the killing of a Chinese bookie. <laughs> Sonny, how's it going? Well, who's on stage? Margot and Sherry. Yeah, why are only two girls on stage? Where's Teddy? He uh, just came up. Uh, well, what's he singing? What song is he singing, Sonny? But how can that be, Sonny, how can that be the song with only two girls on stage? But, Sonny, well, who's this? Vince, Vince, I can't understand Sonny. Uh, well, well, who's on stage now? The, 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 uh, the, the short girl, uh, Margot Donna, right? And the tall girl, right, Sherry. Yeah, and uh, what, what number is it? Is it the Paris number? The Paris number, for Christ's sake. You've been in the place seven years. You don't know what the Paris number is? Well, are there signs on the wall? P-A-R... The Paris number. Are there letters on the wall that say P-A-R... There's another card that says Moon. Well, what's he singing? Is it I can't give you anything but love, baby? I can't give you anything but love, baby. We're back. Welcome back, Welcome back. Cosmo Vitelli, everyone. We are back. We are talking about a movie we just saw. (laughs) And that we just talked about, according to the listener. (laughs) According to this. For the first time, The Killing of a Chinese Bookie. You've already listened to part one where we talked about the 1978 cut. This is the 1976 cut. We're doing both. And it deserves both because these are two very different movies to me. This is a totally different movie. This is a guy with with hours and hours of footage recutting a full new movie with different slants, different moral objectives, different character motivations it mm. feels totally different to me in a different brilliant way yeah this is kind of like uh well this is the original cut 
So this is the original intent. This is like the universally hated and, cut. Uh, yeah, well, even <laughs> Cassavetes himself uh, thought it was maybe rushed. and, and he, he was rushed he went in the editing and, process. He went back and, yeah, as we know, the 78 version is much shorter, but also has, as we will find <sighs> out, just different footage. Completely different footage. Totally different takes different of the scenes. same scenes. And yeah, scenes in different orders a little bit. Uh huh. Yeah, different. Uh, which again changes motivations. Mm-hmm. It cha- when you have a different order of knowledge of certain things, you're seeing the different side to it's a Rashomon mm-hmm. <laughs> by way of Cassavetes. He said that he was rushed editing the original one to get it ready for theaters, and it was pulled within a week. Doesn't That's do bad. well. That's well, bad. Well, it's this original cut is two hours and fifteen minutes. Yeah, that seems like a long movie for nineteen seventy six. It's it's at least thirty minutes Without, longer than the like. This isn't like cut. this isn't the Godfather based on a best selling <laughs> novel that everyone goes to see. You know what sure. I mean? Yeah, yeah. This is a movie with the words Chinese bookie in the title. It's indulgent. So to make you sit through uh, two hours and fifteen yeah. minutes of that, and only about forty five minutes of it really feels like it has. A Chinese bookie in it. <laughs> I could get... see why I could see why people were like, "Where's the bookie in this?" So you think in this is the 1976 version of people that uh, are like, "There better be a monster in this horror movie." Sure, it better not be like a fake trick thing. Well, I, I need to see a bookie get killed. It's very interesting, actually, to be watching this longer, almost you know, maybe you could call it director's cut. Right. Uh, or original cut. The original because cut. Because we are now living in this uh, post Zack Snyder's Justice League world oh, where now sure. all everyone wants to talk about is there were five different edits of this movie oh, at some point. And it's like, yeah, that's how movies are made. People shoot a lot of things, mm-hmm. they cut it down to a reasonable time, and they release a movie. And yeah, the, so the idea that there was actually this released. Yes original very different version of this movie than what most people see nowadays oh yeah in the later shorter re-edited cut very interesting to me it's like this is if snyder got to release justice league first and then everyone hated it and he was like (laughs) okay hold on okay okay i can do this better i can cut it down i can come back from this yeah okay yeah i overstepped exactly all right i overstepped it it's like you heard the rumors of quentin tarantino's four hour once upon a time in hollywood well you hear that about everybody's a lot now. now It seems uh, and, like, uh, oh, there was a five-hour cut of uh, this or that. It's like, yeah, because that's how movies are made. If, if you're just tuning in to our 100th episode for the first time you've ever heard of us, we Welcome. really enjoyed Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. <laughs> that's As a, big a one duo, for us. Charlie and I saw this movie more yeah. than either of us have ever seen a movie in the theater. Loved it. Really just ignited a new level of love of mm-hmm. film fandom. And uh, and also, I have not watched the quote-unquote longer version of it that was released later because yeah. I'm not interested. I went through I and love watched it as it is. all of the wonderful, like probably 40 minutes extra of mm-hmm. bonus scenes, things we didn't see. There's another Sam Wanamaker conversation, mm. a great long conversation with him. There's the full hullabaloo performance. And I'm really glad it wasn't in the movie. That I saw a dozen times in the theater. Right. The cut as is is really great. Now, with the killing of a Chinese bookie, even though Cassavetes didn't like this cut, Bengazara hated this cut. Mm-hmm. I've I've seen that too, yeah. No, I, nobody liked it. Nobody liked it. There, I mean, a except, movie getting pulled for a week. Except us. Except us <laughs> right now. 
Yeah. This movie, I have seen the longer cut a third of as many times as I've seen the shorter cut. And seeing it today, this time, we just that implies you've it. seen the shorter cut like nine plus times. No, I've seen it. I've seen it like six sure. times, probably. So you know, longer cut, twice. <laughs> longer yeah. cut, cut two or three times, and it just felt so fresh and warm, and I was just so happy to see different takes of this story. It feels like this is the silliest comparison. <laughs> I really loved the video game Resident Evil Four. Oh, yeah. I played that on the PS2. I played it on the GameCube. And then I played it on the Wii when Mm -hmm. it came out. I played it through every time. I loved it. It's one of my favorite games ever. But the Wii version has this whole alternate quest. Hmm. So you're seeing this story from a female spy's point of view. Oh, yeah. And she's observing Leon Kennedy doing whole different things. There's different set pieces. There's different camera angles on... Your well-worn, loved scenes. This is a silly comparison. It's very (laughs) silly. But it was this mind trick that this beautiful version of the movie was playing on me where these scenes feel familiar Mm -hmm. to something that I've seen so many times. And yet, I cannot say for certain that I've seen this take on it. I know what you mean. Different versions of the same warm footage that felt just different enough. And sometimes it was one sentence edited out, other it was a couple jokes that went on and made something drag for too long or a ton of interruptions. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it just felt so uh, so much more personal, so much more emotionally attached. Right. Well, I think the big thing here is that when you think of two different versions of a film and one is 45 minutes longer, like you would assume there's just more of the same stuff. Right. And in longer this case, edits. in this case, it's it is not true. There's no. some scenes that were longer in the shorter cut <laughs> yeah. that are shorter in this longer cut. There are some scenes that are, like I said, the we open in this cut with like this weird kind of Chinese sounding. Dude, Kung the whole, Fu the whole opening. score is totally different. The score and is different. The, the intro credits are already a totally different vibe. Right. And the first 45 minutes of this movie feel same but entirely different. A lot of it's new footage right at the beginning of the movie. Mm-hmm. So 30 minutes in, it feels like you're seeing the same characters in like a sequel. Or you, you just, know? yeah, it, it's like you said, that there's a, there's a new perspective. Yeah. Just like the video game where we're still following Ben Gazar as he's paying off his last debt. Mm-hmm. But we have a much more intricate version of that scene. Yeah. And we get much more of him as... We just get much more of him, which is the best part of this longer cut. Ben Gazar is amazing. Uh, This this is is, one of my favorite film roles ever. I I was going to say, this was already one of my favorite kind of protagonist roles. Mm -hmm. I love the guy who's down and out at the end of his rope, doing desperate things, and trying to find himself in that process. And But watching Ben Gazar in this one... (laughs) This, it's, this felt like uh, just so much more real, and the best part of this kind of filmmaking is that you don't have to have this guy explain who he is. You just watch it unfold. You see it all, and we're a big fan, obviously, of that kind of movie. I think some of my favorite episodes that we've talked about are that kind of character where we're thrown into the middle of it. Mm-hmm. Bad Lieutenant is an easy sure. uh, jumping off point. Uh, Blood Simple. Again, these people where we don't need their histories told to us at the beginning. We get used to who these people are and we figure out their relationships with these people. 
And we get a lot more Ben Gazzara in this. It's so funny to me that he hated this cut of it. Because it's just like, I'm hating how much I'm just killing it for 25 more minutes of screen time. Yeah. This whole story focused on me completely. What? What are you doing? (laughs) You know what we need to do? Get me out of there. Cut out half an hour of me. It's strange. Yeah, we get we get uh, much more of him. Like I said in the beginning, paying off this last debt. Then we get him in the bar, and I remember him kind of dancing in the bar at the beginning. But we, then we get a whole nother conversation that he has with the cabbie. The first ten minutes of this movie frame uh, Cosmo Vitelli in such a completely different way mm-hmm. than the shorter cut. We have very quick scenes added that just make him more sad. Yeah. Not as much a guy that you're rooting for that's put everything into his business. The the shorter cut really focuses on him, the entrepreneur, the businessman. The guy who's really putting his everything into his business. The longer cut is a much sadder portrayal. Much more sentimental. Much more sentimental. You feel more attached to him and you get to see him flounder a lot more. He was always kind of a smaller guy that commanded respect in the first one and almost always kept his dignity. You mm. see him lose his dignity for a few scenes in this movie that I don't think you really see in the shorter cut. And it's uncomfortable. You get to see the bad side of him. You get to see the charming side that allows him to run this business and right. get along with the people he does. And the girls. And you get to see the people that he loves get embarrassed by him. And that's tough. Mm. That's a more emotional gut punch of a thing. And the movie also includes more gut punches. <laughs> Literally. There is that it's, too. It's an important early scene that is not in the shorter cut that already frames the whole story so differently. Is... Cosmo paying off this debt that they now say is a seven-year debt. Seven yeah. years know we've known each other. Beginning, yeah. I don't remember that from the shorter cut. And the guy, they meet at an outdoor diner, the guy at cafe, the guy goes in to count the money, handed to him in a bag. And Cosmo, after the guy's taken a while, goes looking for him. And without the guy noticing Cosmo's there, the guy's muttering about what a loser mm. <laughs> Cosmo is. Like, finally don't have to see this loser anymore. And Cosmo hears it and then, like, steps back out of frame. You don't get to see him kind of disrespected like that in the shorter version. And the movie starts out with him kind of disrespected by people. Yeah, I get that. Yeah. You don't really see him shoved as much. But that gives you a bigger turning point later in the longer cut when he becomes almost more of a feared survivor. Guy that's going to outlast everyone. A guy mm-hmm. they underestimated. The build to that feels bigger, larger arcing in this one, and it changed the whole tone for me, in a good way. Yeah, yeah, in I'll, a unique way. I I found it to be uh, yeah because uh, in the uh, in the shorter cut, there's a scene where he talks about being a Korean War veteran that is not in this cut. No, so completely taken out any history. Yeah, I mean. That changes everything. For well, me. and then in this cut, he talks in the uh, bar to the cabbie early on about growing up in New York. Yeah. So this cut, to me, the 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 shorter cut makes it sound like he's just this always been a nightclub owner, 
This is what he does. This yeah. is who he's been. And he's able to kill a Chinese bookie because he's got this military training that lets him operate that way. Yes. This cut, to me, implies that he was a gangster in New York who got run out of town, had to go to had to go to L.A., and is kind of almost trying to stay under the radar with this hmm. kind of shitty <laughs> club, <laughs> the the that draws certain people. Uh, but uh, then then. Yeah, without knowing it, then he gets back into this mob life. Man, and I, I, f- I feel like there's much more of him as a mobster hmm. than this uh, vet. But also, he's like not not like a respected mobster. Like again, See, like I a guy that to... somehow had to leave New York. <laughs> like what? Guy that like, couldn't, he what, couldn't what, hack what it on him? the mainland. Yeah, what he took couldn't him, hack it in the big city. I don't so remember if he's. On. I don't remember if they say if he's from New York at all in the shorter cut. But I they just don't. feel like there's. That's so a I very think the important things. Diff- I didn't get it, an idea that he was ever connected in any way. Hmm. I think he just. Well, I guess that's why it's like when he's able to kill men mm-hmm. and actually go through with this crime, and then maybe doesn't see the double cross. But like he seems much more like like how would he know? Like I wouldn't be able to do that. So and if he doesn't have a military, they never mention any military in his background. The important early differences, besides the movie actually letting him show ass. And embarrass himself more. The diner scene in the beginning is very different. And when we early, you know, we get a lot more build up to him getting back in the hole. Mm -hmm. We get a lot more of the process. We see how bad it goes down and how quickly he's in the deepest hole he's ever been. And we know now that it's seven years that that he's been in debt to these people that he doesn't want to be in debt with. And he's sick of them doesn't respect them they act like they respect him but they also kind of don't and can i just say that since we see that guy at the beginning counting the money more Mm -hmm. i i realized maybe i didn't realize it before that that's the guy who talks to seymour cassell later in the the restaurant that runs into him in the the so to me that just almost reinforces like he had to go to la and the only people he knew who could loan him any money were other gangsters yeah like how would you know I think he like went that. out and started his own business, and we established it. We get that great conversation with the cabbie. Mm-hmm. We knew he hailed a cab after paying off his debt in the shortcut. We don't see anything that happens after that. The cabbie takes him to the bar. We get a little bit of him dancing in the other one. We get this great human conversation early between him and this cabbie that he doesn't really know. And we just get to hear about him growing up. And right. we didn't get that touch That's of sentimental. him from his, yeah, of him knowing his neighborhood and the hints at the character it gives you, where the cabbie immediately says, oh, that's that's a rich neighborhood. And Gazara has to be like, no, no, no. It wasn't rich then. It wasn't rich when I was on, you know, mm-hmm. 29th. Uptown wasn't that kind of area. That he He's a guy who always has to explain how hard he's had it. And that what he's doing is an accomplishment. That he hasn't had it easy, even though he's had some advantages and gotten some breaks. And I think that just finally illustrates how bad the break is that the people he gets in bad with are the people that are happen to be attracted to his specific business. Mm-hmm. We establish in this one that we don't establish in the shorter cut. And this is so important to me and so good. We get a Great scene of Seymour Cassell showing up to the Crazy Horse West. And Cassell's like a 1976 version of a guy who finds the hip 
like taco shop right that nobody ever goes to and it's like a buck 75 per taco and they're the best tacos better than the 450 mm-hmm. artisan taco shop nobody's there and he brings all of his friends there because he knows it's like he's owns the place practically so it's his favorite ironic hangout except ironic. on a sunday night yeah, yeah goes to the strip club it's the only one that's open it's a, it's like almost like a portland thing 30 years before oh yeah there's this like cool strip club but they don't really strip they just kind of do these shows and it's kind of campy and he's the guy who's like gets a ironic engagement with he knows that uh that cosmo the the bengazar character he knows that he writes and directs the skits before he even says anything so yeah yeah seymour cassell shows up with three carloads of people and it's just like hey this is the guy he's the best guy he writes and directs these things you gotta see it (laughs) and and then yeah ben gazar's like hey all right nice to meet you how are you and he's like yeah i got a club too we do a little bit of gambling i and so then so then all of a sudden gazar is on this hook dude he's just he sees this equally kind of powerful guy come in with women and an entourage and this guy's like, yeah, come by my place sometime. And so, yeah, it's almost like he feels like Seymour Cassell to get in this back movie, into it. He got an Oscar nomination for an earlier John Cassavetes movie, hmm. Faces, which was eight That's years cool. earlier than I this. Did not know he that. got a, this was like 68, he got a Best Supporting Actor nomination. But this longer cut, this is an Oscar, this is a Supporting Actor worthy nomination kind of role. It did not get that kind of acclaim. It did not. In the shorter cut, Seymour Cassell is a classic, fun Seymour Cassell character. He's one of my favorites to show up in something like this. Yeah. He's also, though, just kind of one of the gangsters in the shorter cut. Yeah. He's one of five It's a pretty gangsters. equal group yeah. in the shorter cut. You really get more of a sense of hierarchy in the longer cut. Yeah. In this cut, he is basically the point man who is like the point of contact for Ben Gazzara, who gets him... Into the casino where yeah. then he loses the twenty three thousand. He's the guy that got that. Yeah, he's the monorail salesman. Yeah, that's got to go into the Crazy Horse West, and he knows we get. It's such a fuller characterization and such a meatier part. And that's why I'm saying mm-hmm. it's clearly award worthy because there's such important plot elements. He knows he knows exactly how to hook Gazara, so he's cosmo is known but i don't think he's known because of his connections i think he's known as an easy mark yeah 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 and so i think he's this guy who's viewed as a big fish that you even get these gangsters uh talking about his corner property like this is some valuable land kind mm. of thing people are think they're thinking yeah, they're of a- always talking about the property uh-huh. they, they all show up and they're like this is a great spot a lot of potential it's this a good fellas kind of thing of burning down the copacabana mm-hmm. kind of you know like it's a real shame. Like they're eyeing it as what they can get out of this mm-hmm. already. So Cosmo's got to be viewed as a big old fish around his part of L.A. And Cassell knows exactly how to get him. Yeah. Knows exactly how to butter him up. Well, you got to think that the guy who's been taking the money from Cosmo for the last seven years told Cassell about him. Yeah. And like, hey, this guy is the perfect. But we also get a sense of uh, people. We had this question about the shorter cut, like, is his club actually good, or yeah. like, do, we don't know that. I got a sense. I that, still don't know. So on the longer cut, I, I get say. a sense that it's the same kind of equivalent. And you'll have to forgive me, folks. We recorded the shorter <laughs> version of this like two months ago. If I cover the same points and think that I'm having the same idea again for the first time, forgive me. Yeah, I might have said these exact same verbatim things. 
but I get more of a sense that it was a good show. And in the same kind of equivalent to 70s porn, there's just more of a story yes. before you get to the payoff. It's not just women always naked writhing on a pole. You build to the nudity. Mm-hmm. We go through a little fun journey, and it's silly, and it's campy. It's almost like drag cabaret. It, yeah, it's much more burlesque or cabaret feeling than strip club. Yeah. And it's weird when it when it actually is referred to as a strip club, because it doesn't seem like that. <laughs> it does seem more like a burlesque or like a cabaret review type Yeah, but people place. seem to enjoy it fully. I mean, it's got its version. own music director. Yeah, it's so, got it's got a guy, not Ben Gazar, <laughs> writing original music that then Ben Gazar directs at stages. Yeah, this is that a big also production. includes some boobies. This has multiple bar staff, a wait staff that does not get naked. No, multiple. They're dancers. in they're in the the outfit like crazy horse the west crazy saloon horse. vest. Yeah, they're yeah. they're in saloon attire. We get a lot more. So you get more crazy horse west club vibe mm-hmm. in this one. This is definitely more. You're it's centered around the business, his business, and you, I mean, you know where the cars park. You you really get the ins and the outs. You don't get the the parking lot in the other one. <laughs> you don't. You're seeing a whole angle of the crazy horse west. You get the great shot of the marquee. Yep, which is you get more top marquee, build, sure. Mister Sophistication. The DeLovelys oh. are second build. To the most cabaret act of all, Mr. Sophistication. You get plenty of Mr. Sophistication in this one. This is the version to go to where you want to see more of the routines that I love the hint that it's still not a good show and people do like it, ironically. When Gazzara and now Cassell, too, are talking about this guy directs them, he writes them, he lays them out. It's the best show in town. He even said, this is the best place. Best uh, west of Vegas or something. Yeah. Like, yeah. I've been coming here for years. He, Just laying it on he, real He's thick. laying it on thick, but there's that genuineness, too. <laughs> it's, it almost like he had to go there to, to scope out the mark. And then right. it's, it's like, like well, actually, good. this is a pretty fun place to hang out. While Sonny I'm, uh, the bartender's making good drinks. Yeah, heavy hand from Sonny on these you things. You gotta love that. Every, uh, every dancer at the Crazy Horse West has the biggest boobs <laughs> possible. They're, with the I exception lo- of that one short woman, they're all like nine feet tall somehow. I love the DeLovelys. I love How them could you so not? much. It is in the name. one of the greatest casts of like... We've seen a lot of like women in prison and Pam Greer kind of movies and sure. that kind of thing. I love the group of DeLovelys. They are six to eight of the most beautiful but uniquely looking women. They're so gorgeous. And it's a kind of beauty and uniqueness that it's it's not as common now. Mm-hmm. These looks are so good. I love the the short one. And in this movie, you get much more of, you get her story. You get her short backstory and how much she loves working for Cosmo because she's 5'2", and that's two inches below the limit. I love that, Who else is going to hire me? I love that that's part of the longer cut. What? Because then later on, and this was in the shorter cut, somebody else, Gazzara refers to her as, uh, and uh, the short one. What about the short one? (laughs) I had no idea. She's like a short little Connie Britton. Totally. In a, in a I stripper movie. There's so many good I was getting some kind of like characters. adult Linda Blair vibes off of her. Oh, yeah. With the kind of curlyish hair that she had going. They're all so enjoyable in their own ways, and they're all so pretty and just so much fun. It's not like they were all in tons of other stuff. There's a couple that are in yeah. those kind of genre movies. Haji comes late in the movie. She's the more kind of 
uh, Middle Eastern mm-hmm. exotic one that kind of towards the end. But there's such a great cast. And I love this angle of Cosmo is that he has had a, a rough time of it. He's made some bad choices. He consistently has made bad choices. But he has lucked into some breaks. Mm-hmm. He has lucked into the Delovelys. He's lucked into this corner property. You get the sense that it's he's got this strip club built up in a part of town that might be more valuable as something else. Like, maybe we can put some condos on this corner lot that has a novelty strip club right. on it. Yeah, I wonder how much of a throwback that was at that time. Yeah, that I don't know 1976 yeah. it's Los hard, Angeles. It's, it, yeah, it's hard to say if Cassavetes was doing some sort of, uh, yeah gentrification message yeah but it feels like it in this western saloon style cabaret club in the middle of bustling los angeles (laughs) right yeah but these moments add so much more to the characters for me and this seymour cassell character of mort (laughs) the best the best movie character named mort ever the coolest mort mort well there's we more. There's Marty. Name. Yeah, it's hard to. Sometimes it's like, what a cast of dudes. What are we doing here, guys? My, this is the best dude cast. No, my son is also named Mort. <laughs> <laughs> Mort is so good, and this Cassell extra angle that we get, where you see every step of the hook, mm-hmm. and it's so good. It is beautiful visually with all the lens flare and the daytime sun that was in the shorter cut. Not as much of that in this one, of him just going to this club that he heard about. I right. love hearing about the club. We get a lot more Ships Ahoy talk. Yeah. We the get... Santa Monica Club by the water. And Cassell is so cool. It's just like, oh, it's we got a, we got a club too. It's like this, eh, but different. Mm-hmm. Eh, it's more of a gambling joint. And Kazar is just this, he is an easy mark. He's immediately so... Oh, um, just uh, cards? Uh, what do you got there? He's got his uh, addictions, you know? He is hooked, man. And we talked about it in the first part. Gambling addiction scares me. Mm-hmm. It's it's what it's like might be the scariest addiction for me because I've seen it happen. I've known people personally that it can happen to. And when we're talking about the debt incurred in this movie, 23 grand. That's a believably out of reach sum. You know, we've get we've got a lot of these movies where it's like you need to find a million dollars. I'm pretty like, sure Ugh. my wife's parents bought a house for like seventy seven grand in that in that same year. Yeah. So this is like a third of a house. So today, <laughs> that's if you're yeah. around here, that's over eighty you know, hundred grand, a quarter of a million, yeah. maybe. But you know? but you know, twenty three thousand. It shows him getting into this hole within a night. Yeah. A long night, a bad but night. But you know what? You still you you don't sit there cuz I was expecting to sit and watch him gamble for like 20 minutes. And you really <laughs> don't get that. You still get the girls in the bathroom and then there's a extended scene where they come out and their chairs are oh gone. Oh my gosh. And, but but you don't get like what I thought I was going to get 10 minutes of him gambling before. You don't see him lose the money. Yeah. It does this painful thing of skipping to the bad part. Exactly. He shows you don't up. see him showing up and sitting down and being treated well and getting some credit. It just goes straight to the end of the line. We see the guy who He's starts talking about too his loud. chairs. Yeah. And that's that's tough. We've all kind of been in a situation around a situation like that. It's uncomfortable. 
Yeah. And we get to see He's this side kind of, of Cosmo dick. where he makes a room of 50 people uncomfortable. Right. That's not many of us have the chance to do that in life. To but, make it weird for 50 people. But also, the scene implies that the three girls that he takes to Ships Ahoy to watch him gamble. <laughs> Ships Ahoy. The three girls were sitting with him. Then they go to the bathroom and someone took the chairs away? Yeah, it's a. it was a packed place. Yeah, but does he not, when they start taking the chairs away, go, actually, they're coming back. Keep the chairs. He I just, don't know. In that is moment. Is he so into the gambling it, that he loses sight of three chairs no, being taken away? It, he was already taking a bath to the point where we don't know the dollar amount <laughs> that he's totally out. asking for unlimited out. credit. I, oh, man. I've never heard of unlimited <laughs> no, credit before. Unlimited credit. No, such never a heard thing. Of such a thing. That, that actually gets him laughed at. By the room that the part of the room that heard that you, you know, do he, in he that gets scene, a little mocked in that scene you do get more of like the other guys at the table and you get to sense that they're like kind of like they're professional it, gamblers yeah, or at least this like guy get the fuck out of like here adults and this guy is being kind of like he's 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 wearing the the tux oh, what a tux it's like when you oh, <laughs> what a beautiful tux my first uh, my first concert was Weird Al at Luther Burbank oh, okay yes. I went to go pick up my friend who we were going with. Oh, I no. go to his door. He's wearing a suit. <laughs> <laughs> and oh, okay. what year was this? What year was this? 92, 3. The, 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 like the Alapalooza tour. We were 13. We were in seventh grade. A 13 year old in a suit. And I was wearing like shirt. I'm basically wearing what I'm wearing in front of you today. Like Hoodie, he's going to sweatshirt. Like a bar my, mitzvah. <laughs> he was wearing a bar mitzvah outfit. And as soon as I showed up in t shirt, he's like, I overdressed oh, and, went, no. and went and changed. Oh, thank God it was you picking him up from his house. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. That's Ben Gazzara in this. He's at Ships Ahoy, <laughs> which has got like the tackiest like paint job on the walls and, okay. and deck chairs, essentially. This and is, he's in a tux with Dom Perignon, like this way overdoing something, it. Way this overdoing is something it. I love so much <laughs> is there's these people that adore the Crazy Horse West. Even though all visual indications, other than the lovely ladies, dump. are that this place is a dump. <laughs> this is a cheap dump, man. The fucking staircase on the stage. Oh man, Awful this is stuff. this is a dive. Yeah, right. This is Total a cool dive. dive, but this is a dive. Sonny's good with the drinks. They just have. This would be like the the super dive with women with the best bodies ever is one of those things where it's like, oh man, the strip. It's bad. It's bad, but they make this mac and cheese. <laughs> right. You gotta go there. It's like $3. It's so good. This is like that feel. Like uh, You'd go there for some mac and cheese. You'd see some way hotter than they should be strippers, but you gotta sit through the weirdest like sideshow possible in a dump. And so I love this parallel image of Cassell. Like, you know, it's a lot like this. You know, it's different. It's gambling. <laughs> and then you get there, it's like, what is this place? It's like in a living room. It's all that's it's, painted it's with worked. these like seahorses and kelp. It's like in like pastel. It's oh my god, white paint with like pastel designs on it. Brightest like, lights you've ever like seen. Like life in a joint. preservers and ropes yeah. strung up on the wall. Like like you're in a the sea captain's seafood buffet restaurant. Yep, just the tackiest shit. The staff is like basically dressed like the love boat. We do not get the female staff of the ships ahoy in the shorter cut. And there's this scene where Gazara starts acting like a dick, mm -hmm. as you said, where he's demanding the DeLovelys get their chairs, and he already looks like a clown. 
Because he's overcompensating with three women wearing tasseled halter tops, and nobody else is like this. Nobody else has women with them. There's yeah. nobody else has an entourage. They're there to gamble. And he has three. He is like it'd a. Be fi- like sh- it'd be like showing up at the Indian casino with like just an entourage and like feather boas, and then it's just <laughs> or or like the scene in Swingers when they're like Vegas baby, and then it's like two old women at the craps table. Yeah. It's that. <laughs> It's just like, what are you doing? There are serious-looking people at these tables. Like you said, professionals. Guys, everybody's in suits. It's not like a casual place. But he is in the frilly tuxedo tuxedo. shirt with the great... Everyone's got a corsage. Yeah. Like it's prom. We get such a great extended scene, much longer, of him picking up the women. Picking up uh, Rachel and uh, Mm -hmm. going to these great... The short one. uh, (laughs) Go into these great uh, L.A. homes in the 70s. That one was so ornate with all the decorations inside. It looked like Barry Lyndon every, <laughs> and he had designed this Every apartment. home he went to had an indoor and outdoor compartment. Like they're, <laughs> like he showed up in the kitchen. They're like, do you want to wait inside? He goes, okay. And he steps into another room. And, and the woman in the other room is like, why don't you wait outside? It's like, but outside is also inside. <laughs> what, what are you talking about outside? <laughs> Loving this architecture of these little like oh, little then, LA the, apartments. The tall guy. How you doing, big fella? Dude. Hits him, just one of the Von Eric top, brothers top. hanging out in there. Oh, it's perfect. It's it, so it, it just gives Ben Gazzara so much to play off of, is what oh, it is. Man. It's just Ben Gazzara naturally playing off of everything that's around him, twiddling with things, fiddling with the bow, not knowing the bow, taking the time to like race the limo driver out of the car. What a bit. What a, I the just, guy just has different routines and bits that yeah. he does with everyone. Just making and the most of that. We this movie definitely gets a lot more riffing, mm-hmm. but this movie is populated with actors that I like. That peek behind the curtain. There's a lot of Timothy Carey. I can't I haven't even mentioned the God's I name. Know. Timothy Carey. We are this invoking dude. the Timothy Carey in this one. He Nobody gets much more. hams it up in a movie more than Timothy Carey. Yeah. Notably hard to work with in every way, shape, or form. And that oozes off of him every time he's on. This guy is talking another language <laughs> than every one of these other gangs and is such a crazed presence. Such he's, a huge he's, presence. He's yeah, he's the wild card in this game. He is the sure. wild card. My God. Yeah. This is just Frankenstein doing an Al Pacino impression. Right. This is the werewolf on cocaine wearing just a purple suit. This guy's dressed like a Wes Anderson movie 20 Dude, years before Wes Anderson movies. That's funny that you say that because, yeah, you think about all the other gangsters and just the hair and the look of all these. The old other gangsters dudes. look range from Italian mafia out from the East Coast. You get the one guy who looks like a Cenobite with a puffed up face oh, and yeah. sunglasses all the time, who's also 80. Yes. Just a fat 75-year-old. Yeah. And you get C. Marcuseau, who looks more like he's in Seals and Croft. Yeah, he's definitely got the hip. That gorgeous, windswept bowl hair and the sideburns and the short Yacht Rock mustache with the tan suit. Mm-hmm. He's that guy. And Timothy Carey is just, yeah, this huge ogre of a man. Everybody hair else just straight up. Everybody in the movie's 5'7". Right. A couple of the DeLovelys are 5'10 in heels. And Timothy carries this like 6'5 goon. 
With the longest head you've ever seen on a big screen. Who grabs, uh, yeah, who grabs Ben Gazzara's hands and like the double crossing. Like, that was an aggressive hand. handshake. Aggressively shaking the hands. Uh, yeah, give him a little punching up in the alley. Now we have a relationship. Yeah. Now we know each other. We get so much more Timothy Carey. And that guy. I could have used more, though. I could have used I more. I can always use more of that guy. <laughs> Timothy Carey. M. Emmett Walsh is more of like an award worthy version of Timothy Carey. Mm. Timothy Carey is so egregious. I always think of Stormare. <laughs> Stormare is Timothy Carey. Like, you think God, but Stormare is like seems like the kind of guy who's probably just a normal dude off camera. <laughs> he, and he's just like, yeah, I just kind of can play a crazy Russian or a weird yeah, mafia I'm, guy. I come from a, a three thousand population just Swedish village. Yeah, Timothy Carey is like they just turned the camera on and hope he said the words because at one point, you know, I don't know if he flubbed the line or if he meant to switch the Karl Marx quote, <laughs> but. Karl Marx said religion is the opium of the masses, not that opium was the religion of the masses. So he flips that quote. Um, the longer cut of this movie features several scenes where the principal characters appear to lose concentration <laughs> on what line they're supposed to be saying. Yeah. And they're all so good at this conversational weirdness that I don't know if it's just a shot that ran too long or if Ben Gazar is supposed to be this bullshit philosopher who doesn't know what he's actually talking about. I, I, I wonder if there was a script at all sometimes. <laughs> I wonder you know, the, the scene, you know, there's, yeah, like you said, there's several scenes like in the dressing room or just wherever where it just kind of seems like he said, you know, uh, make up a story about uh, some people dying of botulism. Tell us a gopher story. Uh, you guys uh, talk about the botulism when he says something. And, that's, and so it's just people going, what do you know about botulism? What are, you, what are you talking about? I'm always hesitant to fall into that kind of a thing because you, you want know, to give him the credit. I, re I really love, say, Captain Beefheart, and you know, an album like Trout, La Trout Mask Replicas, seventy minutes of just chaos, mm. just this noise and crazy acid blues and the weirdest squonks that you've heard, and you find out these guys were uh, practicing. 20 hours a day. They did this on purpose. And yeah. starving themselves and using psychedelics and just rehearsing the chaos for 20 hours of their day. I'm not saying Cassavetes is that kind of guy, but usually when a driven dude dies at, in his early 50s of cirrhosis, this guy was putting himself through the ringer. Mm -hmm. And so I think there's a lot of intentional chaos, but it takes real energy to get to that chaos. Yeah, yeah. And that's what comes through. Right. This this is chaotic and feels so off the cuff like he's just setting record on his best friends and editing out the gold, but I yeah. think it's I think it's a lot more mapped out. I think it's a lot more of when Jeff Bridges says everything from Big Lebowski was on the page. Sure, sure. I wasn't adding to that. John Goodman wasn't adding. Everything about Walter Sobchak feels like John Hood John Goodman getting to go full unhinged. It was all on the script. Mm -hmm. They knew Walter Sobchak. And I bet there was a lot more leeway with Cosmo and Mort and all these all these ladies, but I bet a lot of it was there. Well, I will say it doesn't drag for a two-hour, 15-minute movie. It, it, it never feels like you're just hanging on to see what they're going to come up with next. That is true. The, every scene has this kind of intent and purpose, and in this longer version, he, you know, uh, says lines that recall earlier conversations. Yeah. So it is a lot of callbacks that we don't really get yeah. in the short one. Yes. 
an important. So it does. It does uh, feel like that is a purposeful. Yeah. Uh. W- yeah. Natural. Me... Naturalistic vibe. Conversational vibe. <laughs> which was. Which was a big thing in the seventies. That kind of cinema verite of overlapping conversations and stuff. That's a very big Cassavetes. Thing. I mean, that Cassavetes is but so influential. Yeah. To indie filmmaking that his handprints and, and footprints are in every indie movie from 1995 on just <laughs> his use of real dialogue you think of even stuff like elephant gus van hmm. sant where he's just recording kind of non-actors talking and he's editing it to make a story people did that because they thought cassavetes was doing that that's how he was laying out these overlong conversations but felt like the way an actual conversation might trail off or somebody mm-hmm. might lose their train of thought or flub a quote it wasn't so polished and people i think more people thought it was easier than right <laughs> than uh than because cassavetes was making it look easy or just like the scene uh, at the end where none of the performers are going out on stage and there's the full house and he's going to kind of draw out this like, all right, what's the problem? Yeah. What's going on? You see what's the, the charm that got him where right. he got. But then, yeah, you kind of see it's like, well, okay, we don't want to talk about it, but okay, we have to talk about this thing. And then, yeah, it's, so it's just very much like how an actual awkward conversation takes place. Yes. Than and what it, you normally get in a But movie. it does not drag even if some of these conversations, when you look back, and this is a unfortunate thing about some modern online film criticism is there's a lot of people that are demanding specific value in every scene mm-hmm. and so they'll reflect on a movie like this and go like that one conversation didn't even go anywhere like it all has to just be talking about the plot and reminding people about the plot and discussing the plot and how they're like that's what they right. need now and well, pe- yeah, they don't pe- view it as adding character and getting you involved in this man's life and his thought process right? and who he is. And this movie does that so well. There's, an, there's a big scene that is so quick that I want to discuss with you. Sure. Because if you read it the same way as I did, it changes, to me, everything about the movie. When Cosmo gets in deep... With this Santa Monica mob. <laughs> yes. The Ships Ahoy <laughs> The mafiosa. Ships Ahoy Mafia. With the exclamation after Ahoy. Absolutely. As you do. <laughs> and they start coming around. Mm-hmm. They start making sure that they're not going to be someone he can blow off for a month at a time. Right. They come back. They're making sure he's not going to blow town. Yeah. They come back in a day to check in on him. Yeah. And kind of remind him of what this is that's uh, yeah that's very much like yeah you have 24 hours to pay this debt. <laughs> yeah oh, i don't know what kind of deal you out. think this is we just wanted to clarify and that is there's one line that is not in the shortcut the shortcut focuses on him and whether or not he's killed a man before mm-hmm. and he says i've killed a man before i was in korea. korea right and he kind of immediately earns a little bit of respect this guy's not nothing right that almost seems like that's the moment where they decide they can ask him to mm-hmm. do this killing of a Chinese bookie to pay off the This is the thing they the wanted to hear. Mm-hmm. Like, this right. actually might work. Our plan that none of us are, th- that none of the audience or Gazara is thinking about, this just became even more feasible. This mm-hmm. might have fallen into our laps. And the tone that the completely different diner conversation when these mafioso drag him to a coffee shop, 
crowd him into a booth, mm-hmm. him in the middle, surrounded on both ends, and they just, it's so claustrophobic. There are all these I guys jammed in. Just all these faces just squished <laughs> next to each other. A lot other. of pockmarks, a yeah. lot of crags. A lot of hair just yeah. over the ears. Uh, everybody's so hirsute yeah. in 76. I love it. So good. Plaid jackets. And uh, the most impossibly different detail since none of his armed service gets brought up. Right. Before that, the cabbie talks to him when they're talking about their childhood. The cabbie says, I know you. You're a family man. You had a wife and a kid. And mm. Gazara does not dispute it. We never hear about, but there adds a whole new development depending on how you view that that comment. Does he really just have an actual wife and kid? There's a reason that Rachel uh, is just his girlfriend, and it's established that he's had other potentially strange relationships with these Hmm. maybe side women. No part of the shortcut hints at him being a normal family man living this kind of different work life but that cabbie wasn't saying like i know you specifically i've seen you with your wife and child he's more like a, I know your i know your type type but ben gazara doesn't say, doesn't say no no that's it's not true. who i am well maybe in new york he did that's and then and what, so why did he have to leave a wife and child in new york then and so i seeing him in this new diner scene which is totally different new dialogue timothy carey butting in going this guy owes us money yes from a different camera From a totally angle. different angle. It's so strange because, yeah, in the original diner scene where they're kind of starting to bring up, like, hey, maybe we could work together on yeah, something. Yeah, doesn't have We to... could work something out. Mm-hmm. We can reduce the debt somehow. Yeah. And Carrie is just going, this guy owes his money. What are we doing here? Yeah. Yeah, he does what it again. We, yeah, why are we dancing around this issue here? He does it in this version, but it's like, a, yeah, different camera angle, and he leans in and looks at him when he says it in a different way. Other, the Very strange. shorter version, he's saying it to the old fat accountant guy right at the same volume as the conversation with cosmo but this time he's clearly interjecting whereas this time he's kind of talking over to somebody else i love the idea of them just filming a very long diner scene and timothy carey saying that line four or five different ways throughout the conversation and just like they pick a few great ones but that's all he says you brought up swingers would an opening scene like reservoir dogs exist without these cuts of killing of a Chinese bookie. Hmm. I mean, that same kind of crosstalk, that same kind of thing where two distinct conversations are going on, and you can, but you can hear both and you're following it, but it's mm-hmm. just chaos, and it's eight people all talking at the same time. And if you've been to an actual real breakfast with a couple of friends, there's a couple of conversations taking is. place at the same time. Especially at a big booth like that. Hard to film. Hard to film and make it work. Uh and it totally works. Mm-hmm. And they do two different versions that work. And the fact that no mention of Gazara killing anybody before, viewing this movie as him, it's like a modern take on the 90s crime thriller where in nick of time, Johnny Depp is an average Joe, suddenly who has to kill the governor. <laughs> right. And he's got two hours to do it and very specific instructions on where to be. And those were always so overblown and over the top, and I love them. But this is so much more relatable, as in this guy getting in too deep, too quick, and not giving any option. He is going to be forced to kill a guy. Mm. He is made very clear. You get an extended scene of Timothy Carey beating him up in an alley, which we only see the aftermath of. 
in the short version. Right. We see the beating go down. We also see Cosmo not go down from a beating. That's a key. So when Carrie kind of becomes more of a, wow, this guy, yeah, well, I res- underestimated him. him. Yeah, he, he, yeah, he kind of gives him like the, okay, now we know each wow, other. Wow, I didn't know this guy was the kind of guy we were dealing with. I thought this guy well, was an easier he's probably used to fish. people begging him not to hit them or, uh-huh. or crying or just somehow Cosmo just takes like three victimized. gut shots. And then he's just like, okay, okay. Okay, all right, okay. all right, I get it. I get it. I love that when a dude's getting beat up and he's like, all right, that's enough. <laughs> I got your point. But... The way Ben Gazar, it adds so much more uh, empathy for me because right after that, Carrie, basically they get him to leave his club. Another great Cassell scene where he said, look, I'm the one that likes you. Yeah, yeah. So you should follow my advice and take your beating like a man and come outside. And that moment where Gazara has to go, let's, uh, let's go outside. Mm-hmm. Let's, uh, that sounds fine. So we get to see the beating. And then importantly, right afterwards, that's when they shove him into a car and explain, here's the plan. The car just got stolen. You'll take that car. This car is hot. It's going to be made within an hour. Like, oh, it's going to be made within the hour, and you're going to be forced into this car, so some cop is going to, at minimum, catch you in a stolen car. Mm -hmm. Imagine being suddenly thrust into that situation for $23,000. Well, that's why I think this is not the first time that uh, that that Bengazar has killed someone. I I and but I don't I, didn't I don't get know that if it's a war thing. One. This felt much more regular man forced to do something he's unprepared to do. But is he unprepared? Because he takes his beatings. He knows what's in store. I I feel like, and he doesn't shake when he shoots that gun. You know. I mean, I get a sense that this is not his first time. The end monologue by Gazzaro, which is mostly the same in both cuts. Mm-hmm is really a window into this whole attitude where he says he's only happy when he's playing a part, Hmm. where he's playing a character, the sad man, the down-on-his-luck man. He always wants to be putting off the image of a guy down and fighting back, and he's putting on a show for these guys. I felt that way more in this one. Now that we don't know whether he's killed a man, mm. instead of established that he's killed several yeah, we... men and women, this guy's been in the shit. We do not know that this version of Cosmo has been in that. That's right. Yeah, we don't know about his war And we don't know how much service. is him, and we see it all through the movie. He is the guy that no matter what happens to him, he's pretending he's in control. And this is going his plan. Mm-hmm. It's that I think you should leave sketch where the guy's choking to death. But he's got to play it cool in front of like a guy he likes. And so he's dying in here. Ben Gazzara at one point is dying. And he needs to be the guy who's going, everything's great. Yeah, I've never been better. So he takes these shots from Timothy Carey. And he's, not, he's got that dignity that he's not going to be begging. No matter how much it would help. Yeah, he's a, he's a proud fella. He's too way. proud. Yeah. And he knows he's too proud. But it's who he is. He needs to put on this show. Well, there's, and I don't remember if this is in the shorter version, but after, so in my memory, the main killing of the Chinese bookie sequence, very is intact, pretty much the same. Yeah, you. Uh, get, he gets the hamburgers. Mm-hmm. He has the little quibble at the bar with the hamburgers. He the car stalls out on the fruit. All of that is pretty much the same. 
maybe but a little longer. You get a little more explanation, and I think it lays it out even more so you realize how lucky he's getting in spots. Yeah. I don't think Seymour Cassell... <laughs> oh, my God. We talked about... We still have the extended too. map sequence, We right? get a longer map sequence in the shorter cut. This is the most confusing series of directions you have ever heard. This guy has gotten just gotten the wind knocked out of him with man punches to yeah. the gut. He's been and handed then he has a gun. To, be told to go drive to a location on the other side of Los Angeles that involves seven different freeway interchanges. It's ridiculous. The the it's what it's like a Mister Show sketch or something. Where <laughs> it, he just goes, okay, now you got to take the left to get on this. You got to take the left, and then five minutes later, he's still talking about the you know in, Pasadena. You don't take this one. You take the Pasadena. You need to be highway. in the left hand lane. It's, it's all, on the, it's all exit, on the map. It's all on the map, but. And, I felt yeah, it so had... much more and so differently this time because we've been living with Gazara more. We see how tired he is now. It has been a rough 48 hours mm-hmm. for this guy. And yeah, now we he see that he's literally just, we've seen the beating that he sat through. Before it was just him clearly having been roughed up a bit, but we didn't know if he was shaken literally or what happened. Mm-hmm. This time we see exactly what happened. Imagine sitting there after taking three survivable punches to the stomach. But just imagine how nauseous he's sitting there Mm -hmm. while also being told very complicated directions to a part of town he's never been in. Oh, my God. I was feeling so anxious during this scene. And it's so claustrophobic because it's six men in a in a two-seater just like the diner it's like these guys do not like to spread out no they really they want that close contact this is pre-covid man yeah no the long yeah <laughs> the long killing scene is uh still great and then but Cassell and I don't think it's in the short one says explains that the the car is hot and explain that there's no keys hmm. it's wired and so I feel like I remember that like, but don't it could stall be. out on this car cuz that's it and then the car like blows a tire two miles into or his runs out of gas or something. Track. You hear a pop. Okay. Ugh. Nothing it goes, goes right. Dead. It goes dead. It's this great dichotomy in this juxtaposition of this overly complicated plan that mm-hmm. we later find out is a suicide mission. That they were just wanting to wrap up two of their loose ends. And Worst case birds, scenario for them is that the guy who owes them $23,000 gets killed. They, the that, worst case scenario for these guys, and this is an important element. I've said important a, two dozen times, <laughs> but I feel it's so it's vital. different. This cut is so much of a different movie. Everybody's motivations are just different. Mm-hmm. It's a totally different movie. These, yeah, you, you definitely get more. Yeah, These sorry, gangsters are, we understand now just how they said, this is the guy that we need gone. That is worth $23,000. Like, this is the thing we can't do. Mm-hmm. If we're sending this pigeon in there who can bumble his way to doing this, that's worth twenty three grand. He doesn't know well, this. We don't really know this. And I love this dichotomy of the first part of this already in over my head plan. If this was you, if this was me, we were given these brisk directions oh, I, I'd go in to a stolen car. Right? Man, I, would, I don't I, know I, what I would do. I would be like, you need to, I, yeah, I would just leave town. Yeah. It was, I, yeah. And I was feeling I all those emotions that Gazara yeah. must have been feeling more, more than I've ever felt them. We've not said this, but we got the opportunity to see this in a theater That's well, by yeah, ourselves. That's true. Yeah, yeah. 
and we, I've we, never we, we seen. We rented a private screen. We rented the screen. Uh, it was just our little group seeing a movie that none of us had ever seen on the big. That I've never seen even not this long on version. the big screen. Ne- yeah. And if this movie ever plays on a big screen anywhere, it's likely not going to be the long cut. Exactly. I sure that contributed to me and my bigger attachment to it. But he's just so much more of a sad, wounded guy in this one that I, even though he kept making bad choices, I'm in it. Mm-hmm. I'm in it with this guy. This is, he needs some breaks. And he keeps getting <laughs> no breaks for the first part of this plan. Gosh, Imagine how frustrated you'd be if you're already driving to a place you didn't know in a car that you already know was stolen that, another great touch, a cop car drives by right when they're handing him a gun. Mm. And the guy has to go, cop car just went by. He <laughs> seems to be going. Uh, right. Oh, my God. Already it's just like, great. You're in Grand Theft Auto. And every cop's looking for you already. <laughs> and it's your first big potential murder crime. Wow. <laughs> you still got to go order 12 burgers? You just got this complicated series of street in freeway changes and now you have to get spe- the specific burger order mm-hmm. with every that felt like such a first season that's Sopranos still from the short version yeah with each guy getting his own like no pickles oh yeah and don't guy, get onions no mustard it's like okay the dogs so don't want yeah, yeah just get burgers and then gazara milking the burger order scene just berating a waitress who is refusing to listen to his stupid order no I just want the 12 burgers in a bag. No paper. He doesn't want them individually wrapped. Because he just wants to dump them out for the dogs. Just, yeah, you know? exactly. And so he has to, I on the fly, be detail. like, look, my wife is very specific. So obviously his wife is really not ordering 12 burgers. But oh. the, the idea of inventing a wife came very quick to him. I got to say, Eric, everything is pointing <laughs> to my theory that he's done this before. Like, Maybe I think mine is just as valid. <laughs> this is a potential family man who's a distant dad, because he puts because mm. he cares way more about his business. This movie paints both as possibilities. I could see that that the other does not, and I love it for it. But it's just such a richer portrait of this man who's got a lot of things going for him and everything against him and. We do get these extra tiny moments throughout the killing where I think it emphasizes him getting lucky. We get more moments of people that just missed him by fluke. It's like playing through a stealth Metal Gear Solid game and not waiting for somebody to pass by. You just go and you're like, oh, I didn't even see this guy. Right. Just happens to be like, oh, I made it to the next set of shadows and that guy just happened to be walking the other way. Whew. Or yeah, those yeah, four dudes go up the stairs, go in two different directions, and he's like in the one direction they didn't go. Yeah, there's three directions, and he just happens to be standing in the one. You know, not likely, but there's odds. There's some odds. It felt like a very realistic portrayal of a guy out of his depth to mm. me, but a guy who's good enough at sucking in the gut a little bit. A guy who always has that level of pride. And he knows how to hold a gun, at least. He's going to sh- pretend he does. And you get a longer look at him taking down what a sadder man. Hmm. Cosmo's good at looking at people and assessing where he ranks next to them. That's a fighter. That's a survivor. He'll mouth off, and he'll get in a little too deep. But he, we see a lot of him recognizing when he's too deep. 
even if he embarrasses himself a bit there. He does go out to the parking lot with Seymour Cassell. Right. You know, he does take the gun. There's a point where he'll stand up for himself, but then he knows when he's licked. There's never, yeah, there's never a point where he's like, guys, this is crazy. I can't <laughs> yeah, do this. this is insane. There's got to be a better, I got some assets I could sell. I'm just a club owner. I, yeah. I, I can't kill him, man. That, yeah, that's ridiculous. I think we, well. Anything we al- else. Like We almost get there when the old uh, accountant does at the end of the diner scene go like, I think we're going a little too quick. Mm-hmm. We might be getting ahead of ourselves here. That guy, every member of the gang, they aren't just mindlessly, blindly allegiant to the gang. They all have their own opinions on how this should be done. Right, it's right. a great collection of dudes. Well, and it, yeah, because they're not in cooperation after the killing when they hear that it's actually happened. And they're almost gobsmacked that like yeah, he actually this, did this this happened but then so then like yeah so cassell wants timothy carey to kill him <laughs> timothy carey basically backs out of it yeah he decides do it. it's not worth it and there was there was some more to that scene i feel like with carey uh and gazara in the shop carey carey goes to pick him up there's more of that scene carey opens bar. up a lot more more in the bar and uh and to Gazara himself. Yeah, it becomes this weird uh, sense of hero worship. I don't remember if in the shorter version there's the bit where Gazara calls Timothy Carey an amateur. No. That um, whole scene was uh, was but mostly I, I gotta say, that one really secured it. Like, I had that theory of him being a gangster. And then when he's able to call Timothy Carey, the guy who beat him up in the alley, an amateur. Yeah. And Timothy Carey's like, yeah, you're probably right. I should just leave because... You still have that gun we gave you. That does that does seal it pretty well. I agree. There's that. That'd be a big like that, reach. That was that. Yeah, that's that'd a, be a big reach for a, a normal man. That's doubling down right there. When you're saying when you're calling the guy an amateur and just being like basically saying, draw like let's do well, this. You know. I'll say this. We've talked about Gazara knowing how to posture, and knowing. This irony of being He's in show business, a man. terrible gambler, mm-hmm. but a decent bluffer in real life. A decent BS. It's a good bluff at the end there. He has no bluff, obviously, in organized gambling. But he can still <laughs> charm, and he recognizes when he has power and when he's powerless. Mm-hmm. And... I think you can view him finally recognizing that there's been a change in power with Carrie, where he pats him on the back, and it could have been more of a, hey, I guess we're good here, but he capitalizes. He goes in for a, what are you doing here? Mm-hmm. Like, you're an amateur. And then the, just walk away. Just just take a walk. And it's I wonder, fine. I feel like he maybe echoes the do yourself a favor kind of line that Cassell gives he him saw earlier it. in the he, club. Cassell is... These you know are I mean? two like five foot six, five foot seven men who just want both each other come to do themselves a favor, <laughs> like kind of threatening, yeah, you know, and like a presence and a force. And it's like he did see Cassell shake him down when they seem physical equals, mm-hmm. but Cassell just happened to have the upper hand due to the situation, and Gazara picks up on when he has the upper hand. And you say it's more realistic that he's in organized crime, but on recent episodes, we've talked about how you and I, and more me, have dealt with the loudmouths in the movie theaters when we've had to shut some people up and had to be a little... uh, You've had to bark a little bit. Tough guy. And in the moment, you're sometimes not thinking. And uh, one guy that I scared that we talked about in The Invisible Man, you went in 
with not a breath's notice of, uh, hey, man, just sit down. That's true. You you went to, hey, man, just let it go. I was being good cop. You went in so quick. I had to be after good I, cop. After I told that guy to shut up that uh, Ben Gazzara doing a, hey, man, it's not worth it. It's true. That he it's did a, sit it's down. It's a thing that an, ever, an everyday man can do. I have never been involved in any sort of mafiosa behavior. That's true. But uh, we get uh, bouts of courage. And if you're a more prideful person... My heart was racing. Oh, man. When that dude stood okay. up, I was like, oh, fuck, I'm actually going to get into a physical <laughs> after, fight in a movie theater. After I... Uh, and then when he sat down, it was very much like a, yeah, we got this. After I scared <laughs> <laughs> and uh, made that guy jump a little bit, the immediate comedy of it hit me that I'm in a freaking recliner seat. <laughs> the most sitting duck, easy target with my feet up in front of me. Imagine how amazing I would have looked if that guy had immediately run up to fight us. <laughs> and I'm like pushing the button to lower <laughs> the recliner. Just like, shit, shit, shit. Yeah. And I'm trying to like scoop my butt forward to get out past the legs so I can Trip, get out of this tripping, chair. Tripping as you're getting Oh up. my God. Popcorn and my, my sour only candy chance going everywhere. Since I'm in a recline, my only chance would be fling myself forward at his waist level and hope to knock him over the guardrail. That was my only chance if that guy was being pushed too far. And Gazara takes these risks at a certain point because he's got the power. Once that guy sit down, after we told him to sit down and be quiet, and he was quiet for the rest of the time, Mm -hmm. my heart was racing. But for the rest of the 40 minutes of Invisible Man, I was into the Invisible Man. (laughs) Just like, nothing more to worry about here. Mission accomplished. And Gazzara gets that rush. You know his heart was racing. Because you know it was pumping blood out from his eventual wound. Well, I was gonna say while he's got a bullet in him the whole time, apparently, because yeah, you do. He that does, is the he, guy he does take death, one in the just gut. Like things are doing great. Yep. <laughs> I got <laughs> smiling while just sweating bullets. Just <laughs> well, yeah, he doing goes, great, guys. He goes back to the club. Yeah. He he doesn't go to a doctor or anything. He doesn't even really let uh, Rachel's mom like fit, you know patch him up or anything. He's like goes to the club to make sure the show's still on and yeah. That, so that, obsessed with getting back to the things he has some control yeah, over. Yeah, you yeah. see that 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 still is strong in this movie. Uh, this longer cut of just his dedication to the club. You still get it's all Cassavetes knew all he needed. That the thing that had to be in both versions, unedited, uncut, <laughs> in the beautiful streetlights, the maybe funniest, greatest scene. This is the thing I could see. Gazara should have been praised for this performance it should have been an award worthy performance one of the greatest roles in my movie fandom after he is like (laughs) doing this hit and he is on the phone calling the crazy horse west trying to figure out just like i need to strike i need to figure out where my how my club's doing he's killing time yeah the conversation with sunny is incredible it's, it's so funny. It's so gr- it's perfect. It's the best kind of over the phone acting that oh, you can do. It's, it's Bob Newhart doing his classic <laughs> phone bit. The timing it's is so, so good. good. The the just uh, that's a lost art because oh yeah we don't do phone calls anymore, especially over the payphone kind of atmosphere. So him in a payphone booth, leaning on the phone, trying to talk over the loudness of the club yeah. on the other end. Which girls are on the stage, Sonny? Just Sonny, Sonny, just having to yell over <laughs> I think the I noise mentioned it earlier uh, after we watched it 
that he's got this uh, good acting Regis Philbin quality. Mm. He his volume keeps going up. He's like Sonny, Sonny. I can't understand what Sonny's saying here. Like, but it's coming off good, not yeah. just like a I'm doing a morning show. Right. And uh, <laughs> just the you've been there seven years, Sonny. How do you not know these? Like, what are you doing? And then yeah, is, is it, it the, the Paris, Paris number? Is it the Paris number? The beat on that is so brilliant. When he asks Sonny, is it the Paris number? Hits the beat. It is there a sign that says P A R This is an Albert Brooks routine. Right. You know? A, this yeah. is a Gene Wilder kind of bit. And it is happening in and around a major mafia murder that he is a part of. It's happening all in the same forty minutes. I love it. That's it my is favorite such part. A perfect scene and even then, even with these wildly different cuts, that was the, well, well we got to have this. Well, and, oh, man, just the way, yeah, he, he's, <laughs> P-A-R, are they singing the song? Mm-hmm. Nah, nah, nah. And he, and he starts so singing much the, song the song on the phone to the guy. Like, are they singing? And it, it's just like, I just, I yeah. love it. I love it That's so going to sit in a very nice little fun oh, place in my heart so for the rest of my life. It's so special to me. It, yeah. it very well could be my favorite character in a movie. It's one of the top contenders. I love Cosmo so much for all of his hate, hateful embarrassments and all of his clearly not perfect upbringing. But I love a lot of these people. I love Mr. Sophistication. This oh, yeah. throwback performer. This guy who, you know, he a has little his freakish. Pride. A little freakish, he insists. A little, uh, yeah. I love a, guy, a performer like that who there's so much irony now and so many people afraid to be proud of what they do they're afraid of being hurt they're afraid of the criticism i love what we do here i love talking movies with you Mm. i understand some people might not love it as much but other people that love talking movies it hits them and i love these characters in this movie i love a guy like mr sophistication or mr fascination if you bungle his name in the middle of the movie yeah as he's accidentally called (laughs) where i'm like wait I Wait, thought it was. Did I? Surely it's the Bernstein Bears situation. Yeah, really. And he takes it seriously. This isn't a hobby for him. This is his art. This is what he's contributing, mm-hmm. and he knows it's silly and a bit freakish. <laughs> but he's serious about it. This is what he wants to do to entertain, and I like how the attitude of the Lovelies is both a job, but. I'd rather be working at this job than yeah. this other, you know. But also, Ben Gazzara's got to hear all that shit after <laughs> he's killed several people oh, he's killed and is so bleeding from his side wound. And now Mr. Sophistication wants to be like, well, they get all the applause because they shake their tits. And when things don't go well, I get all the negative feedback. And Gazzara's just got to be like, okay, well, yeah. Meanwhile, just bleeding <laughs> out the side. I don't remember if keep we it going. get... Uh, I, I remember we get Mr. Sophistication jealous of how easy it is for them to get a reaction because of tits. I think that's at the end because then he, it, he there, has the whole com- comfortable speech. I love the uh, the Gazara reaction shot of when Sophistication complains about how easy it is and it's kind of like him going like, I mean, the cool tits. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that, well, yeah. I mean, you shouldn't be too hurt over this, Mr. Sophistication. Teddy, Pe- Teddy, please. People, I mean, yeah, people, why are we even comparing ourselves to cool tits? People yeah. enjoy Mr. Sophistication, but I'm not sure that's why they're going to the yeah. Crazy Horse West. You know, we all have things we enjoy in life 
that we might enjoy differently, but no less, just in a different way. Why are you even putting yourself in the same category? Sure, you're both performers, but you're working with different instruments. Why compare, Mr. Sophistication? And then, after all of that diatribe, you see Sophistication on stage sweating, the makeup's Ooh. running off of him. Uh-huh. He looks like the penguin with his underwear on from <laughs> Batman does, uh, Returns. Once he's out of his tux and, and into the more like, cartoonish really? tux. Uh, That's he, the art. See, that, I thought, is where you were going when your buddy showed up at a Weird Al show. I thought he was going full <laughs> t-shirt tuxedo, like he's Homer going to a concert no, dude, or the it, prom. It was like... He was going to homecoming. Oh my god! Suit, like matching suit, jacket, and pants, and just Can the you... look on his face was just like it was one. It was almost where, where it was like you knew like his mom like insisted he dress yeah. like this. He's just like, oh no, I have oh to my change. God. So good. Are you gonna name him? <laughs> name my friend? Yeah, who was it? It was Nick. I don't. Uh, Nick. I, I haven't talked to is Nick this a since new character? fourth grade or so. This is a very good uh, Nick's an old character. old childhood friend who moved away to Reading in like fifth grade, and I haven't seen him since. And he was fun though. We bonded over Sega Genesis. Sega Genesis yeah. and uh, and weird going out, out swingers styled. Hundred percent the swingers outfit. This twelve year old swinger. I was John Favreau. Where was he Al? Was, I saw I saw him the next tour in Bad Luther Hair Burbank. Day. At oh, Luther I saw Burbank. him at the Fillmore. It was when, when they was still like had 14. the like pew seats in oh, Luther beautiful. Burbank Center. So it's a pew. He's wearing a suit. And He's then, going to a cathedral to see Weird Al. There was like a different accordion band opening, mm-hmm. and my dad had never told me that there's opening acts at concerts. Sure. So this band comes out, and the one guy's got an accordion, and I'm like, surely this isn't Al. <laughs> Wait a minute, what's going on here? And then I had to sit through like twelve hours of or twelve hours, twelve minutes of uh twelve minutes of this band of this guy of this uh group going, We're an accordion band <laughs> <laughs> And just like when's Weird Al coming out? Dude, this is somebody getting imagine coming into LA and Mort Well is going on Sunday night. I know a place that's open. I know the a place we can band go. Place. The accordion bands playing down at the Crazy Horse West. You go. To, I'll it's never a, forget It's that. this great club. You get a show. You get these great tits, and then you get there, and it's this egg-shaped man doing a whole vaudeville routine. Yep. <laughs> the spotlights on Mister Sophistication, and occasionally a boob comes into the, like the light. And rather than that, it's oh. Wait, what? Uh, they're an accordion band? Really? Yeah. They're doing a Grand Funk Railroad cover session on accordion? That's with the warm-up act? Yeah, the idea... Yeah. All of our first concerts, when we get the warm-up act, that we're like, I had no idea. I this didn't know it was a this. thing. I just assumed Al was going to come out, and then when it wasn't Al, I was looking at my dad like, what is this reality what are we that doing? I'm sitting here? Yeah. <laughs> I don't understand a thing. It was like, it, I, my dad took me... Uh, when I was like 11 or 12, in at the Healdsburg High School gym, the Harlem Clowns Ugh. were playing. That's like a Globetrotter They're knockoff. like a, on the Globetrotter level of quality scale, they're like a 0. .8 Globetrotter. <laughs> yeah. It's like Gallagher as Gallagher 2. Mm-hmm. The Harlem Clowns have like, this man was a Globetrotter from 1978 to parts of 79. <laughs> and the rest are just like good basketball players yeah like a former college guy with no so it's like the harlem clouds close enough name that people are like let's go see the cheaper basketball exhibition mm-hmm. the difference between going to a, a 
carnival that's being held at a fairgrounds and like Ringling Brothers right. circus, that kind of thing. And, you know, getting somebody, taking your friend to the crazy horse. You lived in Portland for near a decade. A town has some strip clubs. I took some people to some strip clubs of <laughs> questionable of que- uh, yeah. status. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I'm just Loved loving it. that vibe of the Crazy Horse West and how much Gazara loves it. You, Mr. Sophistication takes himself seriously. Cosmo does not think he is in a occupation to be embarrassed about. Mm-hmm. He loves it. He, he, ha- he has to put on a show, but he needs that show. I love this movie so much. <laughs> I wasn't expecting to that the long version would become my favorite, but I think I'm so familiar with the short version and love its tightness with its loose, freewheeling nature. Mm-hmm. These are characters that I that I do care about, and I like that we got even more of a reason to care about them here. More awkwardness, more embarrassing situations, more of a familial vibe. Mm-hmm. Of a vibe of a guy you like, but you don't like him all the time. We delve, we dove more into that, and I loved it. It was so special. This is, this is probably my favorite movie of the seventies. Nice. And I think you're hitting those same notes. It seems like you also are enjoying this longer version more. Yeah, it it would actually be hard to say for me right now which one I liked more because I expected, in all honesty, to just kind of this be a 45-minute longer version of the movie we already saw. Yeah. So I expected to kind of, <laughs> well, probably going to just get more cabaret and more Maybe this we'll go that. to a different part of the world. And, and I was really surprised by how it did not feel that way and how it actually felt like there was much more of the gangsters, of yeah. the process, of the aftermath process of him returning to the club and, and then the whole gangster double cross. Yeah. So I was so glad that there was all this good stuff in there. A lot meatier footage rather, than you were expecting. Right. Rather, rather than, than just than a rambling. Extra footage. Right. Rather than just, oh, this scene was actually seven minutes of people fucking around. And yeah. we made it to in the final cut. So, Any yeah. filmmaker. I mean, a movie we've talked about, Blood Simple, the director's cut, like this one, is shorter. Mm-hmm. After years of seeing their first movie at who knows how many screenings and festivals, it probably wore on them that a couple scenes went on too long. Those longer scenes are all ones that I love. Right. But, but also, no one, like, Blood Simple is not a movie where everyone was like, this sucks this when is it came terrible. out. Yeah, a lot of people championed it. So, and the fact that this movie had that <laughs> negative reaction, I mean, I, it would be, it would, I would be curious to know if Cassavetes would have recut it if it had been widely praised yeah. in its long version. I'd be curious. If he had that itch that he himself wasn't sure. Because of so much that he does add in the shorter version and the different tone and the different kind of character motivations, it's not just, I cut 45 minutes. It yeah. is really a restructuring of the whole thing. Everything. So, I, yeah. It's a, it, it gives me a totally we, different We get to live in the, the universe where there's two different versions of this movie. Yeah, it's a totally Pretty different cool. angle and a total different what might have been and how we got here. Mm-hmm. And I think there could be a chance that he would have edited it on his own anyway, if only because a lot of his other movies are as long or longer than the long cut of Chinese Bookie. Right, I was going to say, I, no, I know him to be a guy that doesn't 
he he Maybe uh, an eighty minute movie normally. He loves this footage of these actors that are also his friends. This is him. I mean, when you look at these guys, though, wouldn't you want to just have Timothy Carey, Cassell, uh, <laughs> Morgan Woodward, who plays kind of the boss? Oh, great, great just, face and hair. I mean, guy. I just want to film those guys anytime. <laughs> I would around, film like, any conversation. Just, those any, are just faces you want on film as much as possible. Almost everybody in this movie, I would want just a half hour unstructured conversation between any two person combination. Yeah. These, I don't mind just following these guys walking around or as they're getting forms or as they're talking <laughs> forms, to their girls. Form 17A and a 238. Yeah, no, no, you got two, you got two no, 17s here. Uh, yeah. I can just watch. It's, it's one of those where it's like, I think maybe. You know, Cassavetes and, and and these actors, these are guys who can somehow make nothing seem interesting. Yeah. I think if he was going to edit some of his movies, you look at something like Love Streams, which I love, and it's long, and it's starring John Cassavetes. Hmm. If he was going to cut a two-and-a-half-hour movie, I think most editors would say, like, yeah, I'm, this, is, this is much. This is a lot of me. Right. I'm gonna I'm gonna not hog this much. Yeah. And would be and it would be more of a painful thing to cut out his his friends from this movie he made with them without him in front of the camera. Mm-hmm. So the fact that he did that at a later date, I bet this was really itching at him because you mentioned way earlier, this was not a thing as much. Steven Spielberg wasn't removing penis breath right. from E. T. George Lucas wasn't drawing Crayola CGI and adding the worst dance number possible to Return of the Jedi. This just Not kinda, yet. This kind of cut. The only other person that maybe did stuff like this was Orson Welles. Mm-hmm. Another I could see that. true visionary. Who's, there's a couple cuts in, of his movies that came out 20 years apart and two years apart. And Cassavetes is a guy that I put on the same level as Orson Welles. And they're both very like-minded individual talents guys that want to do their movie mm-hmm. and absolutely are now being more respected by that every year except recently with the whole paddington incident <laughs> <laughs> yeah the auteur behind paddington yeah yeah and uh i love cassavetes every time i watch a movie of his even if it's a movie i've seen eight nine times like bookie i just appreciate what he brought and what he inspired I do not love every Cassavetes-inspired movie. Mm. In the same way that uh, I love Terrence Malick, but there's a lot of directors who love Terrence Malick that I didn't love their Terrence Malick movies, you right. know? But there Someone are, like Jarmusch. Kind of, yeah. But yeah, but doing a good Altman-style movie with a big cast, mm-hmm. doing a... a Cassavetti's movie that's rambling in nature but doesn't seem like we're wasting time that's hard to do and I like people's attempts to do that I'd rather have that kind of a style be attempted Mm -hmm. than a lot of current modern cinema so even if I don't like the things it inspires always I like that this kind of movie is inspiring people it's my favorite kind of thing I think this is my top movie of the 70s I love it too much there you go I connect too much for a world that I know nothing about. (laughs) (laughs) And I only learned through seeing this movie so many times. I love it. I'm so happy we got to see it in a beautiful theater. We're lucky. It was great. We're lucky to have done 100 episodes talking about movies. 
peaking yeah. at number 100 with two different cuts of one of the greatest all-time movies. If you haven't seen it, it's out there. It's on services. You can find it. I'd imagine it may, may be on the Criterion channel since it yeah. got the Criterion release. Sign up for a month. Do it. Check it out. Watch both releases if you want. It's so worth it and so special. It's a kind of movie that is the reason I love talking about movies. Nice. That's what it's all about. I love it. I think it came to this. I think it did come to this. I never introduced myself. I know. It's one part of Big Episode. Well, I'm Eric. I'm still Charlie. Thank you for listening. Yeah, thank you guys so much. We love doing this, and uh, we're going to do it at least another 100. We'll come Let's back keep it going. With, with faces and love streams at 200. Why not? Let's do this. <laughs> for it now, came though, to this. good night. You're sure to find happiness, great success, all the things you always whine for. Gee, we'd like to see you looking swell, baby. Dolled up, dressed up, raising cane and hell. Baby, till that lucky day, you know damn well. Baby, I can't give you anything but nothing in this great big world. But I can't give you anything but love, 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 hot love, love, love. Love, hot love, I can't give you all the shows, but love. Yeah,